listen up and listen good people. We have an amazing event for you today. We are going to be talking about Russia versus Ukraine. I know we have a lot of uh, very uh, different opinions on when it comes to what exactly is the situation there. We have some people who have been constantly haranguing on the uh, support for uh, Russia. And finally, I have gotten people... Yes, finally, I have gotten people who are of the opposite uh, persuasion. But today we have Vladislav Davidson joining us today. Vladislav Davidson. I think that would be the right way to say it in the, uh, yeah, in the yeah. mother tongue. Yeah, and uh, Vlad Davidson. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me live from Kiev and a Brooklyn right. native, as the New York Post today will tell you. And you are also a uh, fellow of the Atlantic Council columnist for Tablet Mag and uh, for, uh, Foreign Policy, uh, founding editor of the Odessa Review. So you have got quite the, uh, quite the repertoire going on there, and it's a great pleasure to have you, have you on, as well Thank as you. the Prudentialist. Prudentialist joining us, a uh, great friend of the show, Giant Geo in the house with something very interesting behind you there. Is it a candle wick? I don't know what exactly this thing is. Wait, where? There's something behind you. Oh, that's the post to my lamp. Ah, the post to the lamp. Perfect. There you go. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Okay. So anyway, guys, we are going to get started talking, talking about Ukraine, talking about Russia, what exactly is the, uh, what exactly the situation going on there, whether we're going to have an invasion, which I absolutely hope is not going to be the case. And I've heard different perspectives on this from uh, various, uh, various people, including a former Russian spy. And uh, recently I saw an interview uh, with a uh, Russian general whose name I will uh, just tell you in a bit over here. But uh, to start it off, Vladislav, how did you get interested originally in Ukraine and uh, the topic of what's going on here? Uh, tell us your origin story, if you will. My superhero origin story. I am a Ukrainian-Russian Jew. I am an American citizen. I'm a European. I was born in Central Asia because my... Uh, grandparents fled Hitler, Herr Hitler, uh, got my family to settle in Central Asia. They were evacuated out ahead of the German armies in 1941. So I was born in Tashkent. I lived there until I was about three, four years old. I spent my childhood in Moscow. Then I grew up in New York City. I am a Brooklynite. I wound up moving to France in my early 20s to study. I met a beautiful girl who I really wanted to uh, 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 go to bed with. And uh, I accomplished that. And uh, <laughs> she stuck around and 12 years later, she's my wife. She is a- Congratulations. Thank you so much. Uh, she's She has not yet divorced me, even though I'm in the middle of a war zone and she's telling me to come home back to Paris, but I refused. I refused her my mother, multiple friends, and two employers to leave, uh, even as uh, people are justifiably worried and even quite hysterical about what can happen here. I have not left yet, and not, neither have about half of my colleagues. So I am a Ukrainian Jew from the diaspora. I've been interested in uh, Ukrainian politics for a very long time, and I've been reporting from here for about 10 years. Founded a magazine here, ran a television station here, I've been working on the Russia-Ukraine issue for a very long time. I'd like to think I have a little bit of credibility on this part of the world, having reported from here since 2010, and I have fairly good contacts 
in politics and intelligence services here. So ask me anything, friends. Excellent. And uh, before we also uh, get started, I just want to announce the queen of the super chat is MJ May. You see that on the bottom with $49.99. If anybody in the uh, super chat department wants to up that and become either queen or king of the super chat, you know what to do. And there's going to be something special that's going to be given uh, at the end of the month since this is done on a monthly basis. So anyway, with that being said... I want to talk about predictions, since there were people in the chat who were saying that this war thing is just being stretched out, this is just all hyperbole, and some people, including this uh, ex-Russian spy, uh, made the uh, suggestion that there, there may be a, a bluff that Putin is doing in order to eventually get into the room with Biden and shake hands and, you know, appear to be the uh, the bigger man in the situation. Like, we've managed to avoid this conflict. And uh, I will give you the name of that spy as well, just in a bit, just so you understand who I'm talking about here. But then we have other people, for example, the retired General uh, E. Vashev, who, uh, you're familiar with Vashev, right? Leonid Vashev. Are you asking me, yes. sir? Yes, yes. I've not met him. I, but I've you are familiar many, with him. I've met many a Russian spy. He's not one of them. Oh, no, no. He's not a Russian spy. He is a Russian. Uh, he uh, was a uh, former Russian general. He's the yeah. president of the Academy for Geopolitical Problems and a yeah, retired yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. colonel. Yeah, he's so, a well-respected. He's a well-respected fellow. Yes. Yes. So he has a uh, different view that there, even though the war would be absolutely disastrous for Russia, in his view, it would... Uh, completely destroy Russia, which he already considers to be destroyed in terms of uh, being a civilization, but in his view, it would mean the destruction of Russia as a country, as a, uh, as a government. But uh, we have these different views. What is your, your view, and how did you get to that view? Let me unmute that. So, look, I've been pretty bullish on the idea that this has been overblown, a very serious situation, which we need to be very careful about, and which the West needs to counter with all sorts of things, including deterrence, including financial support, including military support. But a nonetheless overblown situation in the last couple of days by the Biden administration. I've written about this in foreign policy. I've written about this in uh, various publications. I'm bullish on that view. It is absolutely a serious situation, and the rhetoric and the diplomatic... Uh, bluff and counter bluff and ratcheting up of the costs and the stakes actually makes contact on the contact line more serious and uh, a, a higher probability of miscalculation and miscommunication and misreading of the position and necessity of the other side by one side or the other. But uh, there's not a more serious set of military positions on the Russian side now than there were a month ago. And they are bringing more and more troops, amassing them on the on the Ukrainian-Belarus border. They're amassing more and more ships on the Ukrainian coast off of the Azov Sea and the Black Sea. And this is a very situ serious situation that the West needs to uh, create deterrence against. And uh, di diplomatic solutions need to be reached and we need to keep talking. And this is a serious problem, and war is a serious possibility. Let's not 
let, let's not say anything other than that. It's absolutely a serious possibility. It's absolutely possible that things can get out of hand. It's absolutely possible that uh, something can happen that one side or the other cannot control or miscalculates. But the Biden administration, having seen what happened in Afghanistan, has in an interest in blowing the situation a little bit out of proportion in order to create a deterrence effect, b cohesion amongst Western allies, and c a get out of jail free card. We did everything we could in case things do go south, so they're not blamed for having botched the situation they did with the Afghani's. Prudentialist, would you have anything to add to that? No, I, I would say that I agree. The fact that there's been a lot of bluffs and counter bluffs really only escalates the security dilemma. And I, I agree that Vladislav is right that, you know, all it takes is poor communication, poor posturing, or even reports of something order being given and then being corrected hours later can have serious consequences. So I, I, I do agree with his take here because it's a very serious possibility and a lot of it's going to be based on how well we can communicate and find a diplomatic solution. And uh, we also have a uh, comment over here from Pie, not a super chat, but I'm going to make an exception this time around and read it. I think this is all a PR operation to distract from econo uh, domestic woes like inflation. I would say, yeah. though, that it may be on both sides when it comes to the situation in Russia right now. I mean, Vlad, you could speak to this as far as what's going on there, uh, even though you're more uh, based in uh, Ukraine. Uh, what exactly do you see as far as the economic woes in Russia? And would you also agree with the uh, statement that was made by uh, General Ivashev when he was talking about how the specific policies that the Russian government has when it comes to all the places except for its favorites, by favorites meaning the ones that, like, uh, for example, the ones that are ruled over by uh, what's-his-face, uh, you know, the, uh, the Muslim guy? You know who I'm talking about, right? Kadyrov, Kadyrov. So certain yeah. places that are ruled by people like Kadyrov get a lot of tax money. The way that the government works there is if you are a local municipality, you have to give all the tax money back to the central government. And then the central government decides what to do with that tax money, who to allocate it to. So kind of like a collective farm thing, if you will. So from what I understand from what the general was saying, this money ends up going to the special the special uh, country uh, the special areas of Russia that Russia needs to buy off otherwise Russia is doing something that ends up resulting in probably uh, as he considers her, considers a genocide of the native Russian people who are living in certain areas like especially areas more to the uh, east and this is something that is a big tragedy and something that uh, not a lot of people, I think, have talked about. And here you have like a very high established general who's uh, talking about it. So what do you make of that? Do you see that as being um, as being the fact? OK, let's unpack that. So uh, let's start with the internal Russian considerations. Obviously, uh, Putin has always gotten a big public relations boost from the Russian population, which lasts about a year or so. In the in the midst of these uh, of, of these kinds of aggressive situations, there was a big appetite amongst the Russian population to to take Crimea, and that was extremely popular. Uh, that's just a fact. 
Russian liberals stopped being liberal and on, on the Crimea question. And the Russian population was very happy with the annexation of Crimea. And that was a serious thing. There's no similar mythology with the Donbass. There's no similar uh, emotional attachment to it that there was with Crimea, with Russian literature and the, the Russian fleet and Chekhov spending the summers there. It's just not the same kind of mythological situation. There, uh, there are all sorts of people who do fall for propaganda about uh, about Donbass being shelled by neo-Nazis and that. But, you know, for the most part, there's not huge public appetite for more subsidies to, to Donetsk People's Republic and Lugansk People's Republic. It's a, it's a money suck. It costs a billion dollars a month or something, yeah. something like that in, in old ruble notes that they just pump in there. Uh, that is the Russians. The, the economy of, of these occupied zones are entirely pumped up with uh, with uh, Russian credit and money, which is actually steamed in every two weeks, right? By uh, by um, uh, by train. So th- there there is no appetite for that. Is there an appetite on the part of a Kremlin to artificially deal with uh, economic woes and internal? issues of cohesion and inflation using uh, the Ukrainian question as a distraction. There are people who say that. I am not one of the analysts or uh, commentators who thinks that that is the primary issue. It's always nice. But I do think that within the long arc of the presidency of Vladimir Putin, and he does have 20-year arc, 30-year arc, 40-year arc, as opposed to a normal ruler, a prime minister, president who gets four years, six years, eight years, he sees this as the best possible moment in the long arc of his presidency, which is already 21, 22 years, uh, to continue dealing with a situation on his terms. He is very frustrated. Nothing's worked. War has not worked. The political uh, maneuvering inside of Ukraine has not worked. Having proxies internally has not worked. Trying new, nego- new negotiation with a new president, Zelensky, after 2019 has not worked. The Ukrainians are moving further and further away from the Russian state and from the Russian, quote-unquote, Ruski Mir, the Russian world. And he wants to just nip this issue in the bud. He wants to resolve it. He may or may not see President Biden as weak. Uh, I think he does. There are, there are people who disagree with me on that. That is a separate issue. I do think that he sees the Biden administration as wanting a reset and as being weak, as signaling that they are willing to make concessions uh, for something that uh, is illusory, that they want to look at other problems, that they are not uh, particularly strong on, on deterrence. Whether that is true or not, whether one is a Democrat or a Republican, whether one is partisan about the Biden administration or not, it is the case that they no longer see Zelensky as a fair interlocutor. They no longer see him as someone that he can make a deal with. They no longer see uh, their what they consider to be their internal proxies, uh, Medvedchuk, the pro-Russian politician, as being respected. The Ukrainians have shut down uh, with with you know very good arguments. The internal Russian TV, pro-Russian TV within Ukraine, uh, which is owned by Medvedchuk. So they are pushing against the the Russian narrative, and it's getting harder and harder for the Russians to fix the problem internally using tools because their toolbox is getting smaller. 
So they see this problem as one they need to they need to resolve now as opposed to later. And every day, every month that sorry, um, just to, to finish, mm -hmm. every day, every week, every month that the Ukrainian state continues to uh, deal with its own internal problems and create a good military posture is one month that they are further away from the Kremlin being able to resolve this issue on its own terms. I see. And uh, when it comes to one issue that I don't think has been uh, talked about here, and I really appreciate your response, but specifically the issue of especially the more eastern regions of Russia. And I know that this is further away from the Ukrainian situation, but I think it still speaks to it because it talks about the internal weakness of Russia and how it's, it would react from a potential war and so on. This internal weakness being... Is it the case, like the general said, that the way the tax money is diverted internally in Russia from the places that need it most, the result of which being much earlier deaths for people, you know, especially for the elderly people who can't get good uh, medical treatment, that all of this diversion of the uh, tax revenue ends up in effect decimating the uh, native Russian uh, population, which speaks to what the general says as russia as a country ceasing to exist look uh, there's a huge element of this guy being an elderly russian pensioner who's yelling with his fist at the television right it just sounds like every other old russian screaming about the genocide of the russian people and the, the destruction of mother russia and this is an older conservative gentleman who uh, doesn't like the way things are going you know things aren't as good as they used to be he does have actually good points, however, about the Russian state not being uh, very interested in the actual living standard of Russians. The, you know, the, the Russian president is far more interested in foreign policy and adventurism than he is in building a Russian economy. The uh, $630 billion rainy day sovereign wealth fund that he has accrued, which is a year's worth of reserves, uh, that's just money that's parked there that's not being used to invest in anything. It's money that could be invested in the medical system, in building infrastructure, in in uh, education, in anything that is useful for making people's lives better. Instead, it is sitting accruing probably zero interest or less interest than it could be if it was better invested, mm -hmm. uh, being essentially a political slush fund, a defensive slush fund in case of uh, sanctions or uh, or Western pushback on, on President Putin. So that's money that is being badly allocated in terms of the needs of the Russian voter. This elderly Russian general who's not happy with the state of the world has a lot to be unhappy about. So he is actually a patriot. Is, is he a curmudgeonly old crank? Probably. Is he wrong? Probably not. I have noticed, by the way, other people than him speaking about not particularly this topic of the tax uh, allocation, but about things like immigration. And that also brings up the question of China, how much land China gets in Siberia right now. To me, at least, it almost seems like Russia is like a sideshow Bob who's constantly stepping on the rakes, if you remember that uh, Simpsons episode, where on what... If we go all the way back to, you know, the Middle Ages, you had Russia, and Gio, you're actually going to like this, you had Russia 
who decided to well no you're not gonna like this but you're going to see russia in a different way that's what i mean the russians they had a choice of being occupied by the uh, catholics by the german catholics at the time this was before protestantism and yet they decided, you know what, well, Prudentialists, you may not like this that much. They decided that because we're so orthodox, we don't want to be influenced by this Catholicism. We don't want them, uh, their leaders to influence our people. We are going to go with the Mongols. Great idea. And then you just had these uh, centuries. Well, that was an outposting, rule, wasn't it? <laughs> of, rule by the, of rule by the Mongols. I think right now with China, there's a similar thing happening where the West... Uh, the West you know, like the uh, various uh, things I can mention, like uh, NATO, uh, CIA, all these various elements are looked at as the enemy, and China is just looked at as this huggy bear, you know, this uh, nice Winnie the Pooh that uh, Russia can sell oil to probably at a far lower price if things escalate uh, as far as the tensions go with Ukraine. But I don't know, Vlad, what do you make of the current situation with Russia and China, and how do you think China is going to respond to what's going on right now in Ukraine? That's a great question. It is widely assumed here in Kiev, from the politicians down to the taxi driver and everybody in between, that nothing's going to happen uh, before the Chinese Olympics are over because the Russians and the Chinese are friends and the Chinese have asked the Russians not to break up their show with an even bigger fireworks show. That, that's not the case. It's probably going to, if something happens, it's probably going to happen in the next two, three days before the Russian, uh, before the Chinese Olympics are over. But it, it, it shows a certain, even public understanding of the fact that the Russians and the Chinese have, have come together in a de facto alliance. There was a lot of huggy bear stuff, as you say. Uh, it's not, you know, not the kind of you know, phrasing I usually use, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's, it's, let's say it. Uh, when, when Putin went over to see uh, the Olympics... And, you know, think about the fact that if 50 to 60 percent of the BGTs, the battle group formations of the Russian army, are now on one side of the Ukrainian border, that means they're not on the Far East. That means the Russian Far East uh, border, the Chinese, has never been as exposed as it is now. Think about how comfortable the relationship has to be that the russians are basically not worried that the chinese are going to do anything when half the russian army or 65 percent or 70 percent of the entire russian capacity to fight is on the ukrainian border right or about to be on the ukrainian border the, the their best mm. and best prepared military uh tactical groups or bgds are on the on the ukrainian border that means they're not worried about the chinese border that shows a certain amount of friendliness at the very least right well, it shows a certain amount of, uh, in my words, getting uh, getting cucked here by the Chinese. If we're talking about that island that Putin gave away to the Chinese, if we're talking about, uh, again, just like the general settlement patterns of all the Chinese uh, people going into Siberia, to me, I don't see it as being a friendly alliance. I see it as being, ch- uh, once again, Russia being tricked by powers that it may think have their best interests in heart, but really are going to completely take it over. Not necessarily, Lev. Not necessarily. Okay, push back on me then, Gio. Well, well, Prudentialist, you have a lot of thoughts on this, but I would say quickly that, well, of course, it's really the West forcing Putin's hand in that. I mean, the hostility, the sort of like insane hostility towards Russia by the American security state is like evident, even to like just the consciousness of people in North America or certain the liberals in North America, like even now in my country, 
you have people saying that, well, oh, the truckers are being funded by Russia. You know, it's like, I think, again, this is me just, you know, mirroring, um, well, Prudentious, you did a lot of good work with Joel, my friend Joel Davis, uh, going over Mearsheimer's analysis of the situation. It's really not a good idea for the West to push Russia into this position where China is like their best friend, like they were, you know, in the Soviet Union until things collapsed between the two. I think like it's incredibly strategic folly for the American security state to be just pour the scorn upon Vladimir Putin, how he's some like ultra fascist or whatever. Um, it really is just a miscalculation because if you're going to form a strategic alliance against China, then I think Russia would be a crucial ally in that area. But of course, like the average person running the, running the show in America is insane. So I, I don't expect mm. any sort of, um, yeah, deference towards Russia anytime soon. I, I would love to hear what the Prudentialist says, and I would love for Vlad to reply. But first, I just want to say that my personal opinion is that even if America wanted to have some alliance and friendliness with Russia, the people who are currently operating Russia are never going to want to have an alliance with the West. And that's that's the big problem here. But Prudentialist, uh, let me know what you think. Uh so to, to start off, keep in mind like what you had mentioned about uh, the Chinese relationship that was mentioned about people going over. Um, the Chinese are not very big on localization. The few times that they know that I know that they have done that has been in parts of Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan when it comes to foreign direct investment into those areas. So I'll be very interested to see about how that plays out with uh, the Chinese moving into the eastern parts of Russia, because while this you know strategic relationship is happening i do think that the other shoe is yet to drop um because while you know there are plans that the chinese have economically that have been published whether it's from xi jinping's governance in china documents or just their moves about investing more in their nuclear reactors having a significant investment and interest in maintaining good relations with kazakhstan their expansion into the middle east and talking about the belt and road initiative the building of the uh, Chinese-Pakistan economic corridor moving into Afghanistan. I think that while the longstanding agreement between China and Russia has been Russia can handle aspects of security and the Chinese can deal with investment, I don't think that that is going to be something for in the long term that will be sustainable as the two nations will have their own respective interests, their own leaderships have their own respective interests that are not 100% congruent. So I'm, I'm very curious to see how that relationship will play out in the future. I don't think that the other shoe is yet to drop. Um, and I do agree with you, though, Lev, about that the leadership in Russia, especially what, what often gets labeled as the oligarchy or whatever, is not inclined to have a American or a Western alliance between the two. I think that the time for that to have happened um, went away a long time ago. But the other thing that is also concerning is, is that there's been a lot of capital flight out of Russia. Um, there's been reports about a lot of gold being moved out of the uh, country, which has gotten the attention of the state Duma. There's been a lot of uh, reports of a lot of Russian money being capital being flown into, you know, Switzerland. So I, there's a very uneasy situation about those economic issues that we had discussed. And so, yeah, the United States, I think, is kind of over the course of NATO expansion over the last 20 years has definitely sort of pushed the Russian state in that direction, as um, Gio had mentioned. It's also going to be very difficult for any kind of reproachment to take place without considering those capital and oligarchic interests. Mm. Well, but that's incredible that you mentioned um, how the Chinese are now going to move into Afghanistan, probably cutting deals with the Taliban, because that's something that even way back in like the 
ladies, early 90s people like Brzezinski was talking about in the Grand Chessboard, about how they have to control that area or else they're going to build the Northern Pipeline. And lo and behold, the American state goes out of Afghanistan after a huge uh, posting L for 20 years. And now the Chinese are going to go in like business as usual, like nothing happened, like it's 2000 all over again, right? So, Well, I want to ask about the pipeline as well, but uh, Vlad... What do you make of the uh, situation that Geo talked about when it comes to uh, the Western powers and the uh, Prudentialist uh, talked about it a bit as well, where the Western powers are threatening the sovereignty of Russia, according to uh, some people, and that is something that makes Russia way more of this cornered beast type of mentality. Do you, uh, do you agree with that, disagree with that? Look, I wish that Russia was not governed by a class of people who studied intelligence and are basically Siloviki and are basically paranoid and are basically becoming more and more hermetic and paranoid and listening only to themselves. I wish that Russia had a different transition in the 90s. I wish that Russia had not created a kleptocratic postmodern state melding um, the intelligence services and the mob. I mean, is is Russia is Russia McMafia kleptocracy intelligence services personified? Is it a commercial state? Is it a postmodern state? There's all these very interesting debates about what the ideology of a state is, how it works, what its core interests are. That's all very good. We can argue until the cows come home on what kind of state it is. But at the end of the day, it's run by people who are very hard-nosed intelligence service guys who are very paranoid and who have made decisions and are on one side of a decision tree, are on a particular vector, and there's no going back. Maybe 10 years ago, things could have turned a different way or turned out a different way, probably by 2007, 2008, 2007. Uh, when Putin makes uh, his speech at the uh, at, at the Munich conference, it was already obvious in which direction Russia would be evolving. I do think that China is the primary issue for the Western world, uh, for America as a as a uh, for, as a foreign policy issue. But there's just no reset to be had with Putin, who's behaving aggressively and belligerently and attacking neighbors. Uh, such as Ukraine, such as Georgia, who is uh, uh, gathering strength yet again as a uh, decision maker within what he considers his still, his still backyard, uh, now has just resolved the Kazakh issue on Russia's terms, has last year resolved the Armenian-Azerbaijani issue on his terms, who resolved the Syrian issue on his terms, who is uh, still uh, menacing Europe with uh, with uh, weaponized, uh, everyone, said, everyone hates the usage of weaponized, but let's use it anyway, uh, <laughs> with uh, the, mis the misusage of gas as a political war uh, instrument, who is uh, now about to invade, probably or probably not, uh, Ukraine once again. It's just a belligerent state, a state that mm. assassinates uh, Chechen, ethnic Chechen, uh, Georgian spies on federal Georgian territory that assassinates uh, dissidents in Lille, in France, that assassinates former spooks in uh, in Britain, that kills 
people that they're not supposed to be killing on the territory of NATO. It's just a belligerent nation state. There's little to be done, right? They're not going to reform. It's too late for them to change their ways. There's no way for Putin to take all his capital out into the, out into uh, uh, out, of, out of the country. He cannot leave. He no longer thinks he can leave power, probably, or Russia and retire somewhere else. So it's too late, really, for reset. Sadly, these are the people who run Russia. I wish it was different, but that's the way it is. Well, it's kind of like having the uh, college kids who attend the Ivy Leagues today come out and expecting them to change the way that they look at things like critical uh, race theory, for example. Certain things, I think, have already been uh, baked into the system. But that does bring me to another uh, side of this, where, uh, Vlad, you have no idea how happy I am that you're here, because in a way, I get to sit back and relax. Usually, I'm the one who brings up a lot of the points that you're bringing up right now to the chagrin of some of the people in the chat. But this time, it's different, which is why I actually want to see if any steel man of the other side can be done here and can sure I, can i can i just inter interject with one funny anecdote i sure i, I want to tell you if no one else okay. i was see i was i was having a drink yesterday with a former prime minister of ukraine i won't say which one of the last four but i was yesterday with a former prime minister i have good relationships with three out of four one doesn't like me that's okay i and and then he he was like so what's critical race theory about <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we're going to find out soon enough when they become an American client state. Okay, that's, that's what I want to get to. That's what I want to <laughs> get to. Okay, I think that there is, this is why Break the Rules exists, by the way. I think that there is a big divide right now between <laughs> people who are logical and rational like you are, Vlad, and other people who are just as uh, rational but are privy to other pieces of information, kind of like you would have a surgeon that specializes in hands and another surgeon that specializes in the heart, for example. Both are important depending on the situation, but rarely do the two end up meeting. So in this case, what Gio brought up right now, I think it has to do with this uh, mentality that people have today where, yes, if you get them into a room, kind of like the people who are in here right now, yep. you could bring them through understanding that Russia is a despotic nightmare hell world. And they could say, okay, great, Russia's despotic nightmare hell, hell world, but here are the problems that we are having in the West right now. And sure, you could say, well, it doesn't even equal still. Let's go, let's steel man this. Let's go through what exactly is the fear, as Gio just mentioned, of countries that go under western dominion what are certain repercussions ideological repercussions that they may end up uh, facing so i'm curious oh, uh, okay what do you think of that yeah i i do not i do not think i don't really quite know what it is mr geo pen believes but i did hear one thing but i'm going to make his arguments for him because i partly agree with him russiagate mm. russiagate and i did investigate it and it was a, a remarkable stupidity and a tremendous failure of a legacy media went all in on unproven conspiracy theories where they were screaming, no Passeran, fascism will not come. Uh, Russiagate was a massive, uh, and, I, and I'm a Russia-Ukraine journalist. I'm actually a guy who works here and lives here and spends my time looking back at America where I grew up with some amount of sadness. But Russiagate was a massive conspiracy theory where swaths of American elites convinced themselves of their own moral superiority and psychosis uh, and use Russia as a what real things that were happening in Russia and conspiracy theories about Russia 
and about the Russian elite and about Donald Trump's relationship to a putative relationship to the Russian elite in order to convince themselves of their own moral superiority in their war against the other side. The legacy media apparatus did fail to do its job and went partisan on internal American political warfare using Russia. So, Gio, I, I totally see where you're coming from, and I hope you do. That doesn't mm -hmm. make... Yeah, you, I think I think you do see that I that I see where you're coming from, right? No, obviously, but I think. Oh, sorry. Go, go ahead. Then I'll maybe embolden my position a little bit because I do want to get the prudentialist involved in this. But oh, he's okay. like, oh man, I don't want to be involved. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, look, look uh, the unhealthy relationship to Russia was a byproduct of a certain class psychosis in American politics, where they didn't want to deal with their own serious problems by blaming mm. their loss on Russia and then went right. full all in on uh, anti-Trump warfare. And again, I'm not, a, I'm not a Trump guy, nor do I want to defend Trump, but there are there are things which are worse than Trump in the world and the complete destruction of American legacy media uh, and other bureaucratic credentials and credibility for the sake of like stupid partisan warfare. Uh, is not a good thing, right? And so I, I am a, a, a like a serious Russia-Ukraine guy who hasn't even lived in America for more than a decade and comes home only twice or three times a year to see my family. But you know, I would like to see a very responsible policy towards Moscow. At the same time, I think all of it is stupid, and I think making yourself crazy out of your own craziness and fighting your own political opponents in a stupid partisan way while telling yourself fairy tales about Russia and Ukraine is a good way to make yourself crazy. Hmm. Well, that is definitely the uh, partisan politics uh, side of it. I think what Gio was leading him, I, I don't want to speak for Gio. Gio, I think you're coming more from the perspective of what is currently going on with the Western uh, powers how they relate well, to their own citizens and sovereignty and all that. So well, essentially, yeah, that's what I mean. I think the, the the situation of importing the domestic politics of, I wouldn't say just America, but North America and certain parts of Europe to the world is of course like a real threat. And like, I know we, we have terms for a clown world, the, uh, you know, the uh, global American empire, GAE. But I think that what it is is sort of them trying to salvage that you know, post-Cold War end of history project where there is only one unipolar world, there's just a liberal world order and that's pretty much it. And I think Russia embodies sort of a massive fissure in terms of their, what did Mearsheimer say? They have like a very, like same with China, they have a 19th century political uh, mindset or geopolitical mindset. Um, and Prudentialist, you could speak to this, but I think um, I wanted to ask Vlad two questions, but maybe we're on this topic. I wanted to ask about the postmodern state of Russia. Hmm. Um, but before that, though, before, before that, let's go. Prudentialist I, yeah, I, I, I want to. Yeah, I want to make sure this is addressed. This is a big one. Yeah. Prudentialist. Uh, so, like, like the Biden administration, and with every administration, I really think since George W. Bush's move to expand NATO, uh, 04 onwards, has uh, inherited sort of this policy. I think of, of expansion and securitization. This isn't the first time that the discussion of Ukraine joining. NATO has been discussed. It was discussed during the Bucharest summit in 2008, which was, of course, met shortly in response with the invasion of uh, Georgia as well at that time. And so we're seeing, I think, just this back and forth 
of where you do have a security apparatus of the Russians that play a very heavy-handed role within its government. And in doing so, they see this eastward expansion as a, as a concern to its ability to project power into its own aspect. But the, the Mearsheimer analysis of that, you know, states seek hegemony, that states seek to assert power after asserting their own territorial sovereignty, uh, that we have seen that happen. Whether it is the response that came in 2008, or whether it was the diplomatic backlash that, you know, was gave by the Russian state from the 2004 revolution, uh, in Ukraine, the Orange Revolution, I, I do see that there are reasons for the Russian security apparatus as well as the its you know political bodies to be concerned, and that's been a, a process of, of advancing. And both you know Mearsheimer, Barry Posen, Dr. Sumantra Mitra, a variety within the international relations field have warned that this sort of expansion of you know this grand strategy of you know trying to pursue you know this liberal hegemony to ensure that illiberal states are considered to be a threat um it inevitably you know can lead to conflict if not properly communicated if not handled diplomatically and if not even having the the time of day to address these security concerns which to some extent i are very much valid and the fact that uh, diplomacy has not yet succeeded i think tells a lot about somewhat of the adamance of the american foreign policy establishment which i find worrying uh, Vlad, your thoughts. You can you can imagine I don't agree with any of it. You can I'm sure I'm sure you are uh, I'm sure you can predict that. Look, um, uh, look, the the Russian state was aggressive towards neighbors even before NATO expansion. I mean the the the, the first war, uh, little green man style that took place in ninety two ninety three ninety four in Moldova. Uh, with a uh, breakaway transistor region um you know uh it was it was already nine in the early 90s that russia was using um his uh sorry i'm sorry it's been i've been i've been up for, for a very long time writing no many pieces so anyways let's start again the, Ru the russians have been using military force on their neighbors for a very long time. And they did this even before the quote unquote expansion of, uh, of NATO. Ultimately, I don't think this, uh, the NATO thing is very important in terms of a threat to the Russian state because they have nuclear missiles. There's no military capacity in any of the Baltic states or Poland or Hungary to invade Russia. They're just not there. There's just not enough troops there. There are really not that many uh, brigades there. The, you know, NATO has uh, decreased its uh, capacity to project strength by like 90% since the end of the Warsaw Pact. Uh, it used to be like 110 uh, brigades from uh, from uh, NATO all over Germany and, and NATO, but this is this is no longer the case. There's just not that many troops there, and they're tripwires for nuclear conflict and for getting killed so you, uh, the populations of places like estonia and france and portugal will back a war of defense so you know nato is a defensive alliance and whoever wants to join it can join it i'm in favor of being neutral on the aspirations of ukrainians to join it it's entirely understandable that the ukrainians want to join it because they have a very ma malevolent northern partner and uh, you know it's just it's something that the ukrainians should be able to 
decide for themselves. And in 2013, 2012, when they were about to join the European Economic Compact, which started the Maidan, which started the war, that wasn't about a military alliance, it was about an economic compact. And it's completely okay to allow them to make their own decisions about which military alliances they will join, which economic compacts they want to join. And frankly, I think it's entirely reasonable to want to join NATO when Russia uh, attacks your territory and annexes part of it and puts troops in another part of it and surrounds it. It's entirely reasonable. It wasn't about NATO that uh, the, the Russians started a war. It was about uh, what they considered to be their puppet proxy uh, having to flee the country because he was a kleptocratic dictator. So I don't think uh, I don't think uh, this creeping uh, NATO argument is uh, that convincing. I do listen to the realists. I do think about their argument. Um, you know, Russia is a belligerent state, and you know you have to remember there there are basically five parts of the world which are not integrated in one military alliance or another when the Soviet Union collapses or dissolves and when uh, Yugoslavia dissolves, when communism leaves Europe. There are five areas which are not integrated, embedded into one military alliance or the other. They are Moldova, which is quickly invaded in 92, 93. They are Georgia, which is invaded later. They are Ukraine. There are the Yugoslav states, which go at it. And they are Armenia, Azerbaijan, who also quickly go at it and then have a 25-year ceasefire and then go at it again. So if you're not embedded in a military alliance at the conclusion of communism in 1991, there's a 100% chance that you will experience a civil war or war or both in the next 30 years. Prudentialist, is there anything uh, that uh, Vlad said, because uh, there were a lot of uh, very interesting things to look at, is there anything you would in particular like to pick up and uh, analyze here? Because one thing I never like on uh, BTR or anywhere else is when one side says something, another side says something, and, okay, that's a wrap, people. No, I actually want to focus and see if there is anything that you can you know, pick at, pick apart, and see where exactly there may be some miscommunication. So uh, go for it. Sure. So I think that he's right, that if you're not a part of a specific security alliance, you will definitely see greater powers try and intervene and make a decision to get them in any which way but loose for a particular, you know, security alliance, whether that be uh, the Russians moving to have their own security, you know, interests or their own geopolitical strategy be invoked. And the same thing that happens with uh, the West. And in turn, I would say that, you know, while the NATO, if he has objections to the NATO obje um, expansion argument, fine. Um, going after sort of Transnistria, I think, sort of illustrates sort of where we're going to see a lot of the emphasis be on for Russia politically in the future, because you can pretty much draw a straight line from Transnistria to Kaliningrad and illustrate that those are areas that Russia wants to have, you know, backed and have security on. And that will definitely be something that we'll see in the future. As for the states in which we're currently seeing conflict or have seen conflict in the past, uh, both either in response or to secure their own interests, I think, unfortunately, that is somewhat of the tragedy that the realists do talk about when states pursue their own means.
But when it comes to, say, Euromaidan protests or what even came earlier in 2004, it's not as if to say that there wasn't intelligence involvement from the West, specifically the United States and either of those things. I'm not saying that Viktor Yanukovych was perfect. By all means, we know about his ties, we know about his alliances, and we know where he fled to. But at the same time, it's not like the American hands in the situation are particularly clean, you know, clean either, mm. considering our clandestine work during those two, you know, particularly events within Ukrainian democracy. But, you, so, but you're saying it is one thing. Can you point to a specific thing, a specific document, a specific link that would be yeah, able I mean, to? There's a conspiracy theories. I mean, like, you know, I mean, there there are a million Ukrainians out in the street. I mean, the, the well, Seattle sure, but that out. doesn't mean. United States didn't have involvement, whether it's the fact that once Yanukovych has fled, that you had Senator John McCain visit, we've had the National Security Advisor, the Obama administration visit. I'm To say that it's a conspiracy theory just outright would deny the fact that, yes, the Americans had interests in this area in the same way that the Russians do. But again, I don't know if it's enough to say A and B had interests. It, for me, that would put me in a 50-50 position where I wouldn't know one way or the other. So whenever we're being detectives and investigating whether something happened or did not happen, the next question is, what do you have that is of a substantial nature that would be able to, beyond the shadow of a doubt, prove that this is the case? So what would you say prudentialists would be uh, certain things you can bring forward? Give me uh, one moment and I can bring up documentation. But Gio, if you have anything to add, go for it. Well, I mean, it's I mean, it's obvious that that's the tactic. That's sort of the green Re color revolution tactic of like putting in certain NGO forces to agitate that are strategically aligned with the West. I mean, this is as old as time itself. I think that, yeah, it's true. Putin is not exactly a good dude. But I did want to ask Vlad about, well, before we get to that, um, the postmodern question, uh, the political... The political regimes, or rather, the sort of politics of the Ukraine, I'm seeing Ukraine. dissent. Not the, not the Ukraine, uh, Ukraine, uh, Ukraine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Um, yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> it's funny because uh, it seems that nowadays, I know, to, to contrary to Lev's point, that in the West you have certain, um, let's call them dissident or far right groups. It seems that they're sort of breaking out uh, into being skeptical of Putin and uh, Duganism and so forth and saying that, well, the Ukrainians possess an actual, uh, you know, far right politics as opposed to Putin, who is a multiculturalist in some regard. And so I wonder, do you think like the charges that uh, I know, like there are certain even post leftists that talk about how, well, actually the American security state is being goaded into supporting uh, far right fascistic forces in Ukraine uh, and rather Putin is the more saner option. So, but you're denying that you're saying that that's just like Western cope, or do you think that that's just a myth invented by the Russian state? Okay. Let me, let me, that's, there's a lot there, there. Let me just unpack all that. There's just a lot there. Okay. Let me, let me start right, with, right. let me start with, uh, you want to start with Duganism? Look, the Russian state isn't, first of all, I'm not a Duganist of any kind, uh, no, no, I mean, like, the, in, in the West in particular, like, the yeah. far-right people, I mean, that are more sympathetic to Dugan. They're starting to question that and say that Putin is not the real deal, that the Ukrainian, that Ukrainians actually possess actual far-right politics that are in the security state in Ukraine. And it's like, Putin is yeah, yeah, rather okay, just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't mean accuse you of anything, no, no. Yeah, yeah, I get it, I get it. Okay, so neither one of these states are far right in any way if, if and i'm not far right i'm not interested in being far right uh first of all the the ukrainian state is a liberal democracy 
majority of, of the Ukrainian population in, in, in American or Western terms is just like center right. It's a, it's, a, it's a traditional country. It's a conservative country. It's a very rural country. It's a country of basically farmers and people living in towns outside of the cities. There are large cities. Basically, it's a, it's not, it's a city a country that produces tractors and, and agriculture. It's an agricultural country, right? It is not postmodern or leftist or, or liberal in any sense. It's just a, uh, a, a, a normal conservative place, an old-fashioned place. Are there rightists here? Yes. Are there conservatives here? Sure. Are there uh, far rightists? They exist everywhere in Eastern Europe. I'm a Jew. I write about this a lot for Tablet Magazine. It's in my first book, From Odessa with Love. My, my second book will be about the Jewish-Ukrainian question, to the extent that it is a question. Certainly, the Ukrainian state is not interested in any kind of far-right anything. They have to tolerate some crazies and some people who are national conservative, whatever, who are really, really, really riled up in a time of war and who are under the control of the Ukrainian intelligence services who are fighting. There are certainly crazies in various Ukrainian but military battalions who are really, really, really patriotic. Uh, the, are, are there neo-Nazis here in Ukraine? Well, it's a country that was occupied by Hitler, and there's not a, you know, there's not a, a surfeit of neo-Nazis here. Are there integralist nationalists? There sure are. I don't like it when, when city streets are named after them. I'm a Ukrainian patriot. I'm a Jew. I don't like it when Bandera and Zhukhevich get streets named after it, but I, I and Ukrainian Jews and Polish Ukrainians hold their tongue about that kind of thing. It's a big problem in relations with Poland and Israel for obvious reasons. Um, but, you know, the neo-Nazi question is something that is not true. There are... I mean, it's it, it's a just a it's just a normal liberal democracy. Well, another thing you forgot to yeah. mention, uh, yeah. Vlad, is uh, wait, wait, real quick. Yeah. Another thing I think that uh, you forgot to mention that's important is that if we look at the amount of people that make up the actual leadership structure of Ukraine, as far as right. I believe, like the last prime minister, uh, I, I don't remember who exactly, but so many of them were of a Jewish origin, and you would yeah, think uh, that a country absolutely. who would elect, 10%, you know, into yeah. 10% of the last parliament were of Jewish descent. 47 out of 450 parliamentarians were Jews, either discreetly or or they told us about it. But the, the president is a Jew. The previous prime minister is a, uh, a Jew. Uh, uh, there, there have been there have been prime ministers of every of every uh, ethnicity. Uh, this, this, this country had like a, 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 a Buryat uh, who was a prime minister 20 years ago. This is a very tolerant country. It's not far right in any way mm. so that's one well, way the, the and it's also funny by the way you, you know what i'm about to say uh, geo you know what i'm about to say real quick it's very yes. funny how we have certain uh famous uh two girl podcaster uh, team who yes. made the claim that ukraine is run by neo-nazis well not on just their them post. i mean there's also other credible journalists i mean there is um what tabibi was saying it uh glenn greenwald like it seems that the post-leftist coalition that focuses yeah. on geopolitics there's sort of like 
against They're the wrong. American security. Well, they, they say that. Well, the, the big question is stupid or liar. That, that's how Adam Carolla likes military, to say military, there's far right people. But not, not I mean, hey, my perspective, that's not a bad thing. I, I don't have a dog. <laughs> yeah, look, there, are, there, certainly <laughs> are, there certainly are far right people in the Ukrainian military. And right. there's certainly. Uh, they're certainly tolerated at the uh, at the at the very very least, and their 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 job is to to kill Russians in the east. And there are certain situations in which uh, they're are they're not given orders and which they're not going to follow anyway. It's true. Yeah. It, it, yeah. There's m- much more command and control of those units now than there were five years ago. This is absolutely mm. the case. And I say this as you know, someone who doesn't particularly like far right anything. Okay. Uh, on the on the other uh, issue with Duganism in Russia, yeah, Russia is yeah, a, yeah. a totally postmodern state. Anyone who thinks that the Kremlin is Duganist is an idiot. Uh, Duganism was something that they that they put on like a like a postmodern ensemble in 2015, an <laughs> overcoat that they put on and took off as, as soon as it was n- no longer necessary. There is just they are no more Duganist or postmodern or national conservative or post-rightist than they are anything else. They are spooks who are interested in keeping billions of dollars in capital uh, secure. It's a kleptocratic state. Its real core spiritual structure is kleptocracy. They don't believe in rightist anything. Now, do they have some sort of nostalgia politics where they have a little bit of monarchism and a little bit of Soviet nostalgia and a little bit of so, uh, ultra-right That's what I wanted to ask you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Do, they, do they use a little bit ultra-right conspiracy theory for spice sometimes to spice up their Soviet nostalgia? And are they occasionally using monarchist memes? Sure. I mean, it's a postmodern state. My friend Peter Pomerantsev, who wrote the preface to my book uh, from Odessa with Love, is completely correct when he when he uh, when he uh, uh, writes about the character of a state it does not have an ideological character it's a financial state run by intelligence service guys who are extremely cynical who are patriots in whatever way that they think patriotism as in greater russian chauvinism expresses itself but they don't uh, they don't actually believe in anything other than keeping their their money secure and keeping russia strong in some sort of abstract way they're certainly not ultra right wing anything. Mm. They're not conservative. They're not nationalist. They're not post uh, Duganist. They're not anything. Does that make but, sense? But do you think that? Well, first of all, I think the definition of postmodern. Do you mean in the sense that they have an eclecticist state that they are sort of operating within the ontology of their own empire, which is the Soviet Union? But it's not even like the the politics of the Soviet Union. Rather, it's more of a uh, let's call it. The stereotypical orientalist strongman theory do you think that is what creates this sort of because i live in a postmodern country according to justin trudeau i live in a postmodern country but you mean like <laughs> i know um you mean rather the character of the russian heart in terms of its political operation is itself a phantasm among a phantasm it's not really centered on any coherent ideology as much as either right-wing people in this in the west want it to or as like you know the american security state wants it to be you're saying that rather it's purely a oligarchic semi-anarchic state where the the strong rule over the weak and so forth is that what you mean yeah, by yeah that's about right that's about right it is it is a uh, ideologically it is hollow state run by by guys who are you know they, they grew up in the late 80s and they grew up at a time when everyone lied including the the, the people who were ruling the country about believing in the ideology so for people who grew up in the 
late 80s and, and early 70s, late 70s and early 80s, knowing how to lie about what they actually think. They have a public face and a private face. These are people who grow up in a time of a collapse of values. It was no longer the case that Soviet people, the majority of them, believed in Soviet values. And even the leadership privately did not believe in the Soviet values by the, by, by the early 80s, let alone by perestroika time in 85 when I'm born. So this is a, a generation of men who are happy to live in this way where they say one thing one day and they say another thing another day and they're happy to lie and they're happy to use postmodern concepts ontologically in order to create this this thing uh, and that thing is a, an ideology of pulling the raincoat over people's faces as they rule over them right there are only ideologies to stay in power they mm. don't believe in anything else are they duganists they're duganists for about five minutes in 2015 because they think it's charming and it allows them to confuse <laughs> gullible Western far-right people who, you know, I go to conferences and I meet these nice conservatives who are, who are really interested in traditional values and they think that, the, West, that, the, that the, the Kremlin is interested in traditional values. They're not. They're interested in power and money. And if they need to tell gullible Westerners who come to these conferences that they believe in traditional values, they will tell them that. But they don't believe it, you know. Yeah, I mean, certain people are starting to wake up. But Prudentialist, you, you. Uh, no, uh, no, I actually agree with Vlad when he's talking about traditional values. I mean, if we were to look at the health and state of the Russian, like the the Russian Church or the number of abortions per capita in Europe, some of the highest. Um, I, I do think in the same way that you'll hear uh, Assad or you'll hear, uh, you know, Putin talk about postmodernism or. Uh, even just sort of the the liberal state of democracy, they're, they'll they'll uphold these things despite the fact within the state you'll see capital flight, that you'll see issues of crime, you'll see issues of abortion, you'll see issues of low church attendance. Well, social uh, decay in general. Well, yeah, social decay in general. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, that that would be one thing that I, that I do agree on. I'm not a I I've read Dugan's Foundations of Geopolitics. I've read the Spark Notes for the, the fourth political theory. I. A flash in the pan is 95 work is interesting, but I, I don't adhere to his values. I, I, I think that he's just someone that a lot of people do sort of prop up as interesting. Um, you can read his work, but yeah, no, that, that is like the even far right. People are agree there. Like even far right people are like, uh, I shouldn't mention names, but this guy is really popular in telegram and he's friendly with me, but uh, he was talking about how Dugan is like a lot of insane sort of like uh, pagan and pagan cannibalistic type of stuff he gets into that he's really not a serious political figure in Russia. Yeah. But then there, yeah. are, there are people in the far right in the West that certainly do want to, I think, escape either explicit, like, American-style, like, you know, white nationalism, but also retain a sort of ethnopolitics that isn't... But Dugan has this, like, weird idea of Eurasianism that is... Well, we'll have, we have to bring in Michael Millerman, I think. That, we, that would be resolved this, I think. So. If, uh, I, if Vlad joins us, that would be a good yeah. idea. I, I'm happy to come back. This is fun. Uh, I'm, I have to go and write an op-ed in about five, seven minutes. So I'm going to... Uh, uh, how long are you guys going to be on here? I think, uh, Prudentialist, can we keep going? Yeah, we can keep going. Okay, excellent. Yeah. Because all Prudentialist right. still has to answer back about Ukraine and all that. So uh, mm-hmm. we are... Okay, I'm going to say one thing, and then I'm going to go okay. and, and submit my, my thing. and.
if I if I'm done and my editor says I can be a good boy, I can come back. If not, I'll say goodbye. <laughs> I'm uh, just one more thing about Duganism and Russia. Dugan is a like a crazy old drunk who's not taken seriously <laughs> by anybody in Russia. He's a guy who sits there and uh, he has no power. He has no access to a presidential administration. He did maybe for five minutes because Surkov thought he was charming and it could be used to create some sort of fantasia, right? But uh, Prudential is absolutely correct. Russia is not a state that takes care of its citizens. A million Russian citizens died last year over the natural uh, death rate. COVID, bad health care, killed a million Russian citizens last year. This is not a state that is interested in taking care of its human capital. It's not in any way interested in keeping up its birth rate. It is not in any way interested in creating medical infrastructure outside of St. Petersburg and Moscow and maybe a few other cities which do have money. This is not a country that is interested in offering services to its citizens, okay? Uh, that's, it's just not something that, that they're interested in. Next point is this. The, uh, the people from conservative nationalist post-rightist circles who see a utopia in Russia are very silly and they deserve everything that they get when they move there and they realize it's not any kind of conservative <coughs> coach red pill anything. yeah sorry geo yeah sorry well we're gonna get him on soon so lev that's uh we're gonna see what happens with that one so well um <laughs> i want i want to then have him speak to uh, vlad or somebody who shares a similar opinion here's the thing for a long time, Vlad, I have been surrounded by people who only think one way about this particular issue because they've been propagandized to, and I love them. Sure. I love the fact that uh, Geo, you know, Geo is a wonderful dude, and I think that Geo's heart is in the right place. Oh but my God! There, when... but, but, but the knife is ready to come out. Like... Like well, but when, it, com but when it comes to these things, when it comes to these things, it's very important not to have a closed bubble and to allow other things to come in. But no, again, I this is why. I, yeah, I'm not but the, a total but this, Russia file. I no, think no, no. But this is why. Of, but this yeah, is why I think it is important, yeah. Vlad. If you are able to come back, please let me know approximately at what time you either will or will not be able to come back. Depending, is there a Ready? set? Is there a set? Is I there? Need, a, I I need half an hour to finish. Okay. Uh, an op-ed. I will, I can, okay, I'm, I'm clocking off now. I will come back in 30 minutes. Is that okay? Sounds great. All right, okay. Uh, what do I do? I just l click on that same link, right? Uh, yeah, same link, exactly. Okay, I'll be, I'll be back in half an hour. I have to write for Excellent. Words. Thank you for having me. This has been a good conversation. Uh, you know, uh, I, I'm going to show you my Vishavanka before I go. Is that Nice. So. <laughs> oh, there you go. I, I look good in black, though. I, is there a black version of that? Uh, yes, there are. With the, with the white? Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah, there we the go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. We'll get you on. Come Excellent. on over. Okay, what do I do? I just have to... I just have yeah, to, yeah, just uh, exit the screen and you're good. And uh, we will continue from there. All right. I will, I will see you in a bit. So, guys, make sure you subscribe right now. Break the rules. Vlad is going to be back <laughs> in a Vlad bit. That was literal gay Jamie. <laughs> You Global guys are you, Empire Jenny. you guys are already no, aware mean, of my stance way Russia, before this particular stream. So Yeah, Russia has a lot of systemic problems and I think that 
I, I think at one end, Dugan is not as powerful as people want him to be, but then he is not like as silly as other people want him to be. I think he's a very complex figure, as at least going by the opinion of someone I highly respect, which is Michael Millerman. I think that in in some ways the Russian project, like it is it is a postmodern state, just as much as not just as much as Canada, but I think that as someone as uh, eloquently put in the chat, defending sort of the American uh, global order to fight the evil Russian uh, people that don't care about its citizens. Well, the fact is, I mean, if we wanted to go sheerly by the number of uh, the, the Chinese delicacy, I mean, America, I guess, in the beginning few months failed as well. I mean, I can't say that that's a uniquely Russian problem, but at the same time, um, by I the mean, way, I don't know. They, I, I, they think ha- they have those... like, I think that Russian, the people in the Russian intelligence service, they probably do look at, like these wignats in America as like rubes or whatever. I, I don't know. I just, but, but the other thing, Gio, just so you're aware that when it comes to the uh, mandates of the uh, Backstreet Boys world tour, Russia does have them in place and does enforce them. I'm off screen to the right same... now. No, you're on screen. I just had to switch a few things oh, around. Well, yeah, yeah. Don't worry. Don't worry. Everything's oh, fine. Geo harassment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gotta be on guard for the geo harassment. No, don't oh, worry you don't about have it. Drop down screen, uh, screen of the chat. I guess. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I have the smaller one. So whenever, see, this oh, is yeah, this is okay. how it works with StreamYard. Whenever we have a uh, even amount of people on, Fuck I off, have to Mr. use Bode. the. Oh, you know, yeah, listen. I was recently <laughs> called the most unesthetic man, and in, in, I was called Nergel and the most unesthetic man by our favorite fun poster on Twitter. Not to mention his name, but um. Lisa Boat. I mean, what the fuck? I mean, I can't believe you, bro. I can't believe that. I'm, I'm, I'm offended right now. I deeply regret posting face two, oh, what, two, three years ago now. Um, I just, I don't know. I, I can't, I can't. No, Gio, you have a beautiful, you have a beautiful face. Have no, no regrets at all. Just, yes, you do. <laughs> you, no, you got, no, you got the pudge around the face, but the face itself, uh, the symmetry, <laughs> is very beautiful. So I think that was the most backhanded way to comfort somebody <laughs> yeah. I've heard in a while. It is it true was, though. Had, it's like, it was so poetically eviscerated you can, that it almost uh, came off as a compliment. Uh, but anyways, not, not no, 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 no. I see. I don't mean that as a backhanded I, compliment because <laughs> what I mean by oh, that yeah, is you have chat. is you have the kind of face that just like the ab, like you have abs. All of us have abs, but the abs are hidden behind the layers of fat. Yeah, fat and when you work, you have. Uh, they say we have extra muscle because of all the weight we have to carry. Exactly. So you eventually you have a keg down. instead of a six pack. It's okay. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but you. many many people were complimenting your particular physiono- physiognomy, where they were saying <laughs> that Geo has a very handsome has a very handsome face. So when you get to the point of losing a lot of that extra extra baggage, then uh, it's going to be your we'll face see. is going to be we'll, revealed we'll, to the we'll world. See. I'm getting a lot of esoteric health advice on Twitter. Good. Um, someone suggested they go on amphetamines. Maybe that could be <laughs> possible. <laughs> Oh man! Well, we're way down here in the U.S. Yes. By the way, let's go to super chats right now. So first of all, (laughs) we have Metopia. So first of all, we have a new we have a new patron. Uh, I see. I never know what the patron names if they wanted to be revealed. But he pledged five dollars via Patreon. Alex. I'm just gonna call him Alex right now. And thank you so much, Alex. And uh, we have uh, super chats. Uh, Panaco man, five Canadian dollars. 
Lev, why would Russia not be interested in a strategic partnership with the West? I think that's already been explained, at least as far as I am able to. One thing I would also add is, if you're raised in the kind of environment <laughs> where the West is seen as the enemy all the time, like in your youth, especially like if you're KGB, then it's going to be very difficult to take that shit out. I do want to eventually, when Vlad comes back, get to the other problem of Look, having cultural you enrichment. Geo, Geo, hold on. I got to make a point here, That's buddy. Not, so You want me to just get up right now? Yeah. Okay, do Where's it, do it, do gun? it, do it. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You okay. can imagine the gun. Don't worry about it. So, <laughs> Don't <sorry>. worry about <laughs> it. That's one of my favorite. <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's one of my favorite Geoisms, by the way. Like we have to have. That <laughs> I'm only half joking. That's probably yes. another. <laughs> yes, exactly. But anyway, people people were raised to believe certain things, like the kids in the West, like the Zoomers. They believe like in the gender theory and all that. So it's very difficult to put the genie back in the bottle as far as how you were educated. So that's why it may be a generational. You know, like the older generation has to make way for the new. But I also understand the concerns of people like, well, of Geo, Prudentialists, and others when they say we don't want this, you know, uh, homogenous uh, bug man culture. And that is something that I think was not focused as much in the conversation yeah. where we could talk about geopolitical strategies, whatever. But talking about, let's say everything goes fine as far as Russia ends up having a better government. Okay, great. It's better government, better economy, but then it's going to have to wrestle with the kind of demons that the West is wrestling with right now, which I, again, you know me, I'm not going to compare the two. I'm not going to say that they're the same, but it doesn't mean that it's not a problem. And that's also, I think, a recurring theme in BTR, where we have more liberal people coming on here, where I agree with a lot of the things they have to say, but then, okay, what's next? The what's next is, I think, something that people further on the uh, right side are asking. Their solutions I disagree with, but the fact that they're asking those questions and others are not, uh, I think that's a very, uh, very important thing, and few people are doing that. But uh, Geo, Prudentialist, any thoughts right now? Oh, and one last super chat, Sneed Chat Lev. I'm sneeding at you from Panaco Man, five Canadian dollars. Once again, if you want to be king or queen of the super chat, you have to send in more than $49.99 US dollars. That is currently the reigning champ, MJ May, queen of the super chat. Thank you so much, MJ May. Big fan of John Lacash, who was on that previous stream. That was a great stream, by the way, with uh, him and that Angel Eduardo. But anyway, fellas, what is on your mind? What? Well, there's uh, the other thing to keep in mind, right, when we take a look at the situation is is that um, in Ukraine, the United States gets a lot of Xeon gas from the Ukrainians, or at least as, a, as an export from Ukraine, um, and that's vital to U.S. semiconductor production. So oh, as yeah. things are already very tense over in Taiwan, you've had the, the Taiwanese semiconductor manufacturing company open up subsidiaries in Japan as well as in Arizona. Um, our, our supply chain issue for semiconductors, which, you know, comes into security, computing, cars nowadays, which is kind of depressing, um, that, that is a, of a vital strategic interest to the American state uh, it, writ large. Um, not to mention, in the inverse of that would, of course, be the, the Black Sea, uh, Russia, especially with the Crimean Peninsula and Sevastopol. Uh, they've already had numerous naval exercises over the last few days and are still ongoing. That area has still been checkered off. So lots are still going on. Um, but it, my worry is, is that you're going to get something like happened 
I think it was yesterday. No, yesterday or, or Friday, where it was just, oh, we there, we have this obtained order that says that the invasion has been given the go-ahead, and then the correction is given two or so hours later. And um, that's super concerning, because the big tweet that gets everyone's attention, right, and then the correction never gets the same amount of attention. Um, that stuff really makes the security dilemma worse. Um, it doesn't matter that there are, are, are less troops along certain parts of the countries that are NATO allies. The fact is that they're NATO allies. Article 5 acts as the security tripwire, and that makes the situation tense. Um, of the few Russians that I have talked to in that area, there's a comparison towards the Caribbean crisis uh, akin to the Cuban Missile Crisis because, you know, one of the largest nation states in terms of geography, right, Ukraine, um, being there with the with the NATO allies is, is would be a concern to to having it right on your border like it is with every other state that's on there. So um, I, I look forward to hearing more with what Vlad has to say. Mm. I, I disagree with him on a lot of aspects. I, I, I do think that, of course, I, at least the, there was the disclosure at the beginning, right, the Atlantic Council and all that. So um, those are just some of my thoughts off the top the of my head. The invasion will happen when BAP gives the okay to his direct line to Putler. <laughs> the, apparently, the Russian ambassador to uh, Sweden said that they don't give a shit about the sanctions. Literally saying, we don't give a shit about the sanctions. I think that the problem is the West, they are playing a very dangerous game. I just don't know what the end game of the sort of NATO alliance is towards Russia. Do they? Of course, the end game is, I don't know, what, what do they want to sort of ghost... Uh, you know, maybe by ghost, uh, Putin is like, uh, is that what the goal is to topple his regime with another color revolution to put in some Navalny fucking glowy? Is that what they want? Like, I mean, it seems there's no logical. I'm putting, I'm putting that in the script as well for uh, uh, for Vlad to address. No, but it seems back. there's no logical outcome for the West to antagonize Russia this way. And has the Russians antagonized them? Yes, of course. The Russians are not. Let me repeat. I'm not like totally 100% like Dugan pilled. Russia can do no wrong. Vladimir Putin is Putler is the best leader ever. He is the uh, what did what did what did uh, the one particular thinker of ironies call Xi Ping the greatest statesman of the 21st century? I don't think that Putin's the greatest statesman. The two. I don't think we have great statesmen anymore. Uh, I think I, I just don't really see what the point is of the American security state through NATO going on this like theater mission this theater kid uh general mission to i don't know like it seems that the model of american domestic politics has bled into everything in terms of the mm. media you know how you know this because it's replicated here in canada you have absolute fucking ghouls that i hate in the canadian media like matt gurney and andrew coin who put the fucking ukrainian flag in their in their handle bios on twitter mm. why would they do that why? You See, want dog in the fight? Does Justin Trudeau and and the Canadian media have to fight a war that doesn't concern us? Oh well, the great Ukrainians that have immigrated here from Canada, and of course there was some. I, I will agree there is some connection with certain Ukrainian groups that have come to Canada. Blah blah blah. But I'm saying that in terms of the immediate issue, it's this sort of like this sort of like new religiosity woke like blm politics where it's like this is the evil empire going against clap back it's like that's the model that they, they have of like hmm. the american and north american domestic political situation is repeated of like well you know putin is just like the the insurgents on the sixth it's like and like the truckers it's like 
that model is so shit-brained. I can't begin. I can't begin to tell you how dis- how just utterly G- stupid it is for a Canadian journalist <laughs> to put a fucking Ukrainian flag in their bio on Twitter. Come on, bro. Come go, on. By go way, off, King. Fuck you, Andrew Coyne. Fuck you, Golden Mail, and fuck you, CBC. Sorry, I just had to get that out of my system. Now you should have been like Tupac say, saying, and CBC, fuck you too. <laughs> Mob Deep, fuck you what too, or whoever. <laughs> my bullets will make you look. No, well, no, I'm not going to say that lyric. No. Wait, no, no, no. With Mob Deep specific. No, 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 no. It was, uh, it was Chino XL, <laughs> fuck you too. And Mob Deep. Oh, yeah, that's Mob right, Deep, Pupac, right. uh, Tupac was insulting Mob Deep. Uh, because I'm no, putting out no Vaseline against because these of their, journalists. So. Because of their uh, sickle cell anemia, so he was <laughs> he was talking about how they'll get a seizure or heart attack if they uh, step on his turf. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that's brutal, bro. That's you, like when they made fun of EZ for having AIDS. Like that was. Yeah, you better good. back the fuck up before you get smacked the fuck up. That's how we do it on our side. <laughs> smack, <laughs> change the pitch up. Smack my bitch up. <laughs> that's another one. Oh. Um, but Gio, look, look, the energy yeah. that you're bringing right now to the stream when vlad is not here you have to bring it when vlad and other people well, okay, who are from I, well, that world I'll be, are I'll in have a okay nicer version of that why is it that yes. it seems that it's become an activist issue in the west yes like you know tucker carlson had a great video about like um ukraine is like our longtime spiritual ally and that we have to defend them at all costs against the evil fascistic. Russian I mean, there there is uh, no no. Look, to be fair, yeah. Ukraine does have more of a history of independence than Russia because they were not under the Mongol rule. That already puts them more into the category of European nations as opposed to oh. uh, Russia. I think that's a pretty big deal, and that's why I think the Ukrainians do retain <laughs> that level of being separate from uh, Russia. Not you would say ethnically separate, although maybe a case could be made uh, in certain circumstances, but more separated uh, culturally. And people tend to forget that, that there is a big well, difference yeah, between the of two. Of course, the closer to Russia you get, like I think, well, you and Joel were covering this Prudentialist. Like the, it's just the distribution between support for Russia in Ukraine and support for a NATO country. I mean, the further you get into the territory, well, like the like I had said then, and like I said the other last Sunday about this issue was, is yeah. that if you if you really want a good dividing line, take a look at the division between the 2010 election with Yanukovych and uh, um, the the other uh, candidate in mind. You have almost a clear dividing line east west of the country that kind of illustrates some of the, 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 the positions and opinions. But I mean, what's worse is, is that we don't have good data on this. Everything that I had to look up about, say, like Russian uh, ethnic identity within there, I'm going back to a 2001 census. Um, you know, that's it's 21 years ago. I don't have, at least for me, because I'm not a credentialed expert that works for uh, various organizations like the State Department or the National Endowment of Democracy, so I don't know. But like Sevastopol, for instance, is vastly um, ethnically Russian, as well as parts of the Donbass and the Donetsk regions. But um, and then that does play a role in there. Uh, Ethnic diplomacy, quote unquote, has been a part of sort of Russian foreign policy for some time. And the same thing, though, Geo, can be said for like the right when it comes to like we look towards other countries and why are we so interested? I think it's a disaster for and for politically, at least for Hungary. They're going to host CPAC and all that other stuff in, in, in Budapest because it's not like uh, American conservatism is something that is 
equal or equitable to what war bond is or stands for. And if anything, it's going to give more ammunition to those who are actually in charge to right. claim that the American right wing, even it's more modicum or modest and milquetoast Republican wing to be, um, you know, illiberal or uh, authoritarian, which doesn't help, I think, anyone's case to, to get anything but, moving in that direction. But do you think a, a Hungarian or a Polish model is more in line with, like, I would say, Tucker Carlson core, um, more like illiberal republicanism in the States than opposed to Russia, which Russia has innumerable issues with their ethnic minorities. And they have sort of problems that Hungary, Poland, and to an extent um, will be another base nation in that conglomerate. Uh, I guess maybe Serbia. I don't know. Like that just, they simply don't have, like, it seems that there's a greater case there. Like they're like, um, I'm just, there, there are fucking right wingers in the states that believe that, like, I don't know, the base Nazbal Soviet Union is still alive and well in China, and they're z-pilled, and it's like wholesome Chungus Hegelian Marxoid uh, Christianity. It's just so, like so. Here, here's here's my question then: is how much of that is just online e politics discourse versus <laughs> the, the polity? And this has been the biggest thing that I I, I have been sort of ranting about. For a, a long time, and this is something that a lot of people on the right have been talking about, just about on a cultural issue, is is that why do we have this myriad of niche ideas? Because the internet is a great way for digital escapism, especially for politics, when young people feel like they have no agency. Because actual local political engagement requires someone with a totally deracinated and atomized attention span who is constantly checking his phone every five minutes to go sit down at a county commissioner's court meeting and listen for like the two and a half hours of the most boring and mundane garbage that anyone ever has to deal with in politics. And as someone who has done it for a considerable length of time in his young career in politics, it's boring as hell. But that's how it actually works. And or read a history, or read right. a history book, or, or read well, primary sources. Too, right, like read, here, here's what I bet. I bet that when I bet that when they get to the gates of Saint Peter, and Saint Peter takes a look at uh, their life, what happened, he'd be all like, "So you're telling me that you didn't even read any of the primary sources, but you became these e-right political cheerleaders?" <laughs> I would have, I would have, I would have rather you had, I would have rather you had a lot of pointless sex. At least you would have gotten some actual pleasure out of it. At least you would have. At least, well, you, at least you would have got your nut the, instead of. <laughs> pride is certainly the root of most deviltry, as uh, Saint Simon uh, would say. But well, the good, the, the thing is, I think the problem is, I, I noticed that there is a contingent in the online right that is viewing the sort of critique of capitalism brought up by the sort of I would say, 2016 to 2020. Like um, I'm thinking of. Oh shit! Sorry, my phone. Everybody subscribe for Geo's phone. Patreon.com slash I've never had I've never had a phone on because I uh, I my new phone, my yeah. new uh I managed to turn off the sound for all of my All right, listen. We have 100 Telegram. people who are watching this right now. I'm sure all of you 100 people have not subscribed yet. So subscribe yeah. right now. And also, I am sure that not all of you 100 people became patrons yet. So patreon.com break the rules. If all 100 of you gave me gave us $5, imagine that. Only 5 the cost of the cost of a soy Zog Chow coffee a month. And then, oh, Zog shit. Chow. Jesus Christ, Gio. <laughs> you, you're stop. never going to stop. I've got to stop. And, <laughs> you should, sorry, say, you should say that when Vlad's here. I just know I did not intend to say you that. You should say I'm that when Vlad's here. Lad. Talk about the... Uh, I was the... just like, oh, God, this is where I choose to post face. Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> no, here's my thing. I... <laughs> 
Um, I think that when it comes to the critique of capitalism, like, for example, brought up by people like my good friend Keith Woods, I think that you the, the immediate impulse by certain people on the right is to be like, well, oh, fuck, you guys, um, that means you're a communist, that means you're Z-pilled or whatever. No, I think that you can have a critique of anti-capitalism from a non-Marxist or non-Nazbal or non-communist perspective. I think yeah. that, but the point being is that um, when it comes down to like this, this sort of horse trading among very like <laughs> like online people, it's sort of bullshit because the real, um, the <laughs> the real problem is that you're not going to solve domestic issues in your own countries by being like LeBased China, LeBased Russia, mm. LeBased Hungary is going to come and save me when the West collapses. Wait, That's sort of a fantasy, I think. Wait, Gio, I want to share this with you. I just saw this right now. Here not is to a subtweet anyone, but you know what I mean. Like well, it's, yeah. Speaking of tweeting, here is a uh, tweet right now by the great Seven One Eight TV, uh, who is watching this. Ch check this out. Look at the screen. <laughs> Gio, bring back Death Row. Right here. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I mean, the theoretically, you could be like the uh, the uh, well. Like I, I was. Knight? I, yeah, I was about to say the White Shug Knight, <laughs> but then I remembered you're Italian, so you could be like the the next Shug Knight. I will yeah, put it that you way. <laughs> you have a nice little fat cigar in your mouth and you wear Zucada. That could be me. Yeah, wear the red. Yeah, yeah and uh, I guess Prudentialist could be like the Stoop Dog, and I could be like the Tupac. <laughs> no. Well, you'd be like Jerry Heller, Lev. What are you talking about? Who, who the fuck is Jerry Heller? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Who the fuck is Jerry Heller? I have Jerry to know Heller was the manager for um, the NWA, and uh, he was the, uh, well, you know, he was one of your people at the top. One of my people. Oh, good. So I can, I can only be, I can only <laughs> be the behind-the-scenes puppet master. I can when never people, be the puppet. That, that's what you're saying. When people were criticizing Ice Cube when they did the diss track No Vaseline, there was this one line where they're like, against uh easy e where he's like i don't have a jew tell me what to do like you do like it was really a controversial thing at the time but jerry heller said that like it was sort of like bullshit like the way that, that it happened like i mean there there are certain elements within like the afro-american music industry where it's very distrustful of uh well yeah i'm not to get let into, me ask you a question geo and during those times why wasn't there more representation within the record industry of people more from, let's say, Ice Cube's uh, ethnic background? How come they didn't they didn't operate within those particular well, spheres of the industry? It tended to be that when it came to the technical stuff, like the actual mixing of records, it was mostly controlled by us Italians. But when it came to, and of course the radio stations, because as people knew back in the day. They, they were paying the Italian mafia to basically lean on these radio stations. And a lot of the record um, people at the top, of course, were controlled largely by, you know, Lev's co-patriots. But there was the, the problem is the exploitation in the music industry. I think it's very simplistic to say, oh, wow, those tiny hats, they're destroying the, you know, black bodies and exploiting them. I think like there was a whole cycle of exploitation. Hmm. Then later when a lot of, uh, Afro-American music artists had a degree of autonomy and formed their own record companies. You still had this sort of like Janny, like young boy system where it's like you had to pay your dues and come up in the game. It's like now, I mean, nowadays this, this thing is sort of irrelevant because the music industry is like so terminally fucked up that, yeah. like, I mean, you can't really point to like this 
person's at the top or this person's at the top. But yeah, us Italians had a role in the music industry, making it what it is. <laughs> so, um, well, also the Swedes, true. if you're talking about that one Swedish uh, DJ who oh, made all yeah. the pop songs yeah. for like Britney Spears and so on and so forth. And yeah. don't forget the blimp man. What's his name? Uh, you know who I'm talking about, the Backstreet Boy. Uh, uncle. Oh, uh, R- P- Lou Pearlman. Yeah, good old Lou Pearlman. <laughs> Rest in peace. R.I.P. I was Rule listening Perlman. to this uh, story of this woman who was supposed to be a, um, an R&B singer who was signed by R. Kelly, and she was talking about how R. Kelly was abusing her and how uh, I didn't know this, but apparently R. Kelly brought up Alaya back in the day, and there was some sus uh, cheese pizza stuff going on there um yeah that's really a tragedy mm. and of course she died tragically in that yeah. plane crash um yeah but i mean it's funny because alia was considered like little girls music back in the day Wait, is it a liar or aliyah i always Aaliyah, thought it was Aaliyah. Aaliyah. but it's like infinitely superior to a lot of the mm. pop music going on nowadays like, yeah i hate to say you it. remember that vampire um, movie she was in that's why i love Aaliyah. yeah because the queen <laughs> of the damned yeah yeah, yeah. jonathan davis um he what happened was jonathan davis was created the soundtrack for queen of the damned and he brought in all of his new metal friends around this sort of Ozfest tour at the time deftones static acts disturbed um orgy at the time but what happened was the rec the record company they couldn't work out a deal i think with universal so jonathan davis had to sing all of the tracks in the film he was actually the singer for lestat then he would release it later i personally like for example the song slept so long I personally like the Jay Gordon version from Orgy rather than the Jonathan Davis version. Man, I'm really fu- I can't believe this. this is just a nerd topic for me talking about new metal now. Let's get on to geopolitics. Before GIO before politics. No, but before G-I-O the politics. geopolitics, I also want to say somebody mentioned Blade speaking of uh, a vampire's movie oh, uh, yeah. with a black representation oh, yeah, in them. Favorite, favorite. I People make this point a lot, and I definitely agree, that back then – Nobody really looked at something like Blade as being like this, you know, this, uh, you know, like token black character playing it. Like, no, it was fucking Blade. Blade was cool. Like, there wasn't the same sense of some kind of forcing something in, like with the Lord of the Rings, for example, forcing something in that has no historical bearing on the. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What? Yeah. Oh my God! Yeah, and and again, oh. it's it's not to say that there cannot be fantasy settings uh, of this nature, but specifically, if we're talking about the world that Tolkien created, there are specific descriptions of what these uh, particular uh, groups are, like the dwarves and the elves and so on. So it would go against the specific uh, histori- historicity of the uh, of the text. Did, did you uh, did you hear this? Um... <laughs> love what's of you breaking your home leaves you assured in the darkness of night brings up the redemption oh sorry i'm looking at a uh, someone tv did you see the recent um the the interview with louis thoreau where he said um it was easier when it was simpler when racists were swastikas and were powerless <laughs> oh my god well i don't know what's gonna happen tonight i don't know i mean uh what's gonna tonight? happen with the knicker well, yeah, because the first episode of uh, Louis Thoreau's new documentary, <laughs> where he's profiling the Gripers. I don't know. I don't know who agreed to that one, but apparently there's a quite spicy mm. interaction oh. with uh, Louis and um, Beardson. Nick's head capo. Uh, yes, Beardson. So uh, we'll see what happens there. 
Um, who was? I think Beardson kicked Louis Thoreau out of the apartment yeah, after uh, yeah, it was, some, something it was or other. Yeah. Yes. But uh, but anyway, back to Russia and Ukraine and all that. We've been uh, all over the place over here. Oh, wait, is it Valentine's Day? Is today tomorrow. Valentine's Day? Tomorrow. tomorrow. Oh, my God. Don't <laughs> oh, God. Happy Valentine's Day, Gio. Happy Valentine's oh. Day, Prudentialist. Sorry, guys. Thank you. You're Love, who are you going out with for Valentine's Day? I'm not saying I'm not oh, saying another on. word. I'm not saying another. Listen, love, I love keep my private life. A, yeah. I keep my private life uh, crystallized in this crystal over here, and I'm not going to break the crystal and reveal what, what are exactly your plans going on. <laughs> oh no! Geo, like you, I am a single man. I just have the the great fortitude to not simp about it. Yes. <laughs> Well, yeah, if only, if only I could come to New York, I could see a particular friend of mine who I'm very fond of. Wait, not, not, me? Well, Lev, too. Well, yeah, you, <laughs> so what the no, fuck? No, no, what no. the fuck, Gio? The co-hosts can have Valentine's Day dinner. That'll oh. be I mentioned Valentine's Ooh, Day. Ooh, that, 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 that was... But I'm oh. sure St. Valentine is rolling in his grave, just knowing what we've done with it. I know. Oh Wait, God, wasn't no. wasn't St. Valentine's all about, you know, handing boxes of chocolates, you know, heart-shaped? No, that was not. What what was he all about? You you tell us, enlighten us. Geo, do you want to you want to chime in here? Oh, you go mm -hmm. ahead. You go ahead. <laughs> I forget that, the I forget the lore way how it became. Well, it's, it's, it's definitely not a um, it's definitely not that story. But I mean, uh, Saint Valentine was what two hundreds A.D. Um, uh, at least in the West, it's uh, on, on the 14th, I think, for us. He's on uh, July sometime. I don't remember the specific day. But um, he's the patron saint of epilepsy and beekeepers, um, yeah, how I know. Right. Yeah, he died uh, in 269, I believe. Uh, rest but, in peace, yeah, um, RIP. Yeah, he, it is said <laughs> that St. Valentine was a priest who defied the emperor's orders um, and secretly married couples in order to uh, spare their husbands from war, primarily, of course, Christians. So, oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. there we go. There, there's uh, a bit he, of a... Yeah, and one of, one of many Christian martyrs of uh, before Rome had became mm. a, a Christian. But, uh, but, speaking, but speaking of Christianity, shit, I actually have to make the thumbnail right now for this, but speaking of Christianity, there's going to be a stream coming up this Thursday... Uh, which is going to be with Tyler Hamilton and Gnostic Informant. They are going to be going at it. Because, Ooh, uh, really? We're having that again? Yeah, because Tyler said some things. Some things My were said. ain't ready. And now those oh. things are going to be addressed by a very excited uh, Gnostic Informant, Neil. He is very excited for this. He thinks that he is going to... Uh, you know, there's going to be a lot yeah. of fireworks. Let's put it that way. So... Uh, bet, bet on whoever you think is going to be the victor this time around. Oh, Ochre, I, I would bet like it's probably streaming somewhere, the the Thoreau thing. But I think I forget what network. Maybe it's going to be on BBC America, probably. Don't, I think that's... don't get people looking at other things, Geo, than break no, the rules. No, this is tonight. This is not during now. Okay, um, okay. Just I don't know. I'm not sure. going to say anymore because I, I promised that I wasn't going to subtweet other e-celebs. And... Uh, yeah, I'll say no more. I, I I just we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I'm curious to see the Kino Casino episode next week. <laughs> say no more. Say no more. Mm. Anyway, um, back to Ukraine. Back to Russia. Yes. So okay, I have a couple of notes here that I took. So, uh, uh, do you agree with the uh, statement of uh, Russia if it does go to war? 
it's going to be, according to this general, you know, longtime general, it's going to be finished as not only a civilization, which he believes it's already finished as, but as a government, that the government of Russia from that point on, because of, number one, the resistance that it's going to get from the other governments, uh, you know, with the sanctions and all that, and number two, from the partisan resistance in Ukraine itself. So I think we'd be talking about, like, Iraq times however. Do you think that the actual government would be capable of uh, existing? Hmm. Uh, financially, between sanctions and I, presumably if invasion comes off, I don't know if the Biden's administration would go forward and go kick them out from the SWIFT system or try their best to, to, to do that. I do think that if the Russian government makes any action, whether it's to invade or occupy Ukraine or to solidify its control militarily, uh, over Donetsk, Donbass, and the Crimean Peninsula and the Black Sea. Yeah, there's going to be significant uh, economic ramifications. Um, will that government hold together? And that would be the really interesting thing. I don't know enough about the inner workings of Putin's circle and who he's got behind the scenes. I know like Sergey Lavrov from Foreign Ministry and whatnot, but like, I, I, I don't know because you know you have all this capital flight. They're sort of in preparation for this. You've had gold flying into London. You've had a lot of money flying into, into Switzerland, into bank accounts. Wait, are they flying from where? Uh, from, from, Russia. from Russia. Okay, how does that make sense if these are the nations that would then be able to just confiscate all of that shit? How does this work? Well, I mean, capital flight is just... To me, I, I don't think that they're expecting this to be seized. And even if it could, I mean, it's Switzerland, which probably has its nice ways of getting around certain sanctions. But the the other issue, though, the, this is a sign. The capital flight to me is one of the bigger pictures here that is indicative of what is happening is not something that they predict is going to be good for Russia. Um, because if the wealth is leaving and those who have significant influence and sway are leaving and want to put their money elsewhere, they would recognize that either sanctions are coming or something is going to seriously happen to the Russian economy if, uh, heaven forbid, conflict plays out. And this has been happening for a while now. Um, but the other issue that I find also just as equally concerning would be on the grounds that Okay, so something. What what position is Russia in to, to do anything? Ukraine is in a already has a domestic debt crisis. Most of their uh, their foreign debts, I think, is like eighty percent of their GDP. Last I checked, and on top of that, the economy has not been particularly productive. Why they're in manufacturers or in service industries? Um, I I don't think that at least me thinking as a rational actor. I don't see the interest in me trying to occupy and then trying to revitalize like a nation of what, what's the population of Ukraine? Like what? 38 30, million people. Yeah. I think it's more than Canada. Let's find about out the same four, 4 million. So yeah, just, I, I, I would find that very, I'm not inclined to believe that, you know, occupation and trying to run it is uh, not something that they would want mm. to do. I, to me, I think some of the biggest areas that they're interested in, is the preservation of the Black Sea and having their navy there, preservation of the port that exists in Sevastopol. Um, they're significantly concerned in holding on to Transnistria as well as uh, Kaliningrad to get access to the Baltics. Um, but I, I, I'm not inclined to think that war will break out. But Russia, I think, also knows that it's in a position that, you know, 
you you don't do anything and things might look bad at home domestically or then you do do something and then the worst happens which is hot kinetic conflict that i don't really mm. think um anybody wants which i which i think is severely concerning so this is not a, a good situation for anyone involved and like i've said here uh, with joel davis on my show uh four other stuff this is like hour eight and nine of me talking about ukraine in the last two weeks um <laughs> i it, it's just uh i i hope that diplomacy prevails because i don't think anyone whether you're one of those russophiles on, on, in certain parts of the internet or um you know or you work for the atlantic council i don't think anyone wants war i i really don't think that that is something that anyone recognizes the mm. cost of and that's kind of why i side with the realists in the international relations spheres is that you know, what's, what's the last time the United States military engaged in a mass casualty event um, in terms oh, of military God. conflict? It would be Vietnam. Um, you yeah. can talk about Iraq and Afghanistan, but that doesn't compare to the losses that we would no. see if, mm. if missiles started to hit, you know, carrier groups and sank something that has more than all of the people that died on 9-11 inside one ship. You know, like, I, I don't think that no one is ready for that. No one's prepared for it. And so despite this rhetoric, I, I pray and I, I prayed today at liturgy that we hope that the situation in Ukraine and Russia resolves itself. Cause... But, mm. but do you really think that America would be invested in, in a war with Russia? I mean, I don't think America could particularly win, nor do I think Russia could particularly win. I don't know. I think. Like... No. And that's the scary thing is, is that no one could particularly win by conventional means. Um, mm, yeah. and, and that that's what raises the security um, concern even higher. Right. At least in my perspective, because if war by conventional means cannot be won, sure. Initially, Russia has the geographic advantage to just roll over, right? Or at least yeah. take territory that they want. But then, you know, you have the... We've already seen all from C-17 flights come in into Germany and into Poland um, that there would be rapid deployment of forces and that it would be something that could easily push back against, I think. I, I, I'd find that to be also equally concerning because already the... The, the economies are already in an issue uh, with Western Europe. I mean, NATO expansions always had concerns from France and Germany, whether it was in the Bucharest summit in 2008 or more recently. Uh, all of this time, right, it's um, uh, concerning, considering Germany's an energy crisis, most of Western Europe is. Um, America, of course, has been using cargo ships to deploy liquid natural gas in the area, but um, they, energy is leverage has been one of Russia's primary areas to, to hold on to. And the other thing that we haven't considered, and this is something that I pointed out a couple like last week was that um, Russian naval exercises the other week in Ireland, originally they were inside Ireland's exclusive economic zone and they happened to be over um, the uh, necessary largest transatlantic sea cables for communications and internet connection. Um, so we would not, if that were to take place, right? Like we would, they're already having difficulty stopping sharks from biting these cables. Imagine what a, an anti-submarine ordnance device could do. Th huh. These are things that I'm, I, I think about and how this would, would, would play out. So things are already sucky domestically at home, right, in parts of Western and uh, Central Europe. Just imagine how bad it'll get um, mm. if something were to break out. And again, it's something I, I don't think any side particularly wants. But the, mm. the, the but pressures I mean, have been you... put out. Well, like, I, like how I, could you solve that issue though? The the energy um, shortages that are happening. Like, do you think that if worse comes to worse, the EU would go crazy and they'd be like, you know, the Americans would? It would be like when Hitler tried to take the uh, the the oil fields of Russia. Like, I mean, just I don't see 
any logical solution to there being a war that would really mm. do anything apart from just devastate the human capital but, uh, here but, and elsewhere. I mean, but Gio, I think a big problem that people have when analyzing uh, somebody like Putin, and it does, I think, go specifically to Putin, the buck stops with Putin here, is that you're not going to have a rational actor most likely and hopefully that doesn't mean that know. it's going to be war hopefully that means that there's still maybe some part inside of him that's going to see common sense but there is this concern that putin was somebody who was constantly you know especially in later years surrounded by ass kissers who tell him what he wants to hear and the person being in power for so long that does something to a person and i but think that that ends up changing them changing their perception of reality so much that another thing that that general said by the way is he thinks that Putin is at such a point that he'd be willing, although I don't know if it's that general or the other guy, but anyway, uh, it is said that Putin is at such a point that he knows that Russia's doomed and he's going to take Russia out with him. Well, Glow in the Dark has a good point. Is Lev seriously going to try and argue that Putin is less rational actor than the U.S. State Department? Well, yeah, that's the U.S. State Department. I mean, look at the, the certain... Uh, Generals of but the, here's uh, the but here's the difference, Gio. But, but here's the difference. In fact, now we have a uh, hold on. Vlad is back, and Andres should Hi. be hello, and Andres should be uh, joining us shortly. By the way, your camera is uh, off right now, uh, but you're not glowing. So that oh, there we go. There you go. Yes, and uh, how how was how was the writing? Everything uh, everything good there? Yeah, yeah. I just submitted my op-ed to to the New York Post. I'm going to be in the New York Post tomorrow, as I was again today. Sweet. Very fun as a Brooklynite, as a native, as an almost native Brooklynite. I love being in the New York Post. I mean, we kind of share that in yeah. common in that uh, I was from St. Petersburg and I emigrated to the United States, to New York and to Brooklyn. So I was living in Brooklyn as well. Maybe we were living around the same time. What, uh, what years were you in Brooklyn? Uh, 91 to 2008. Uh, Nine, okay, I was uh, 93 to... Uh, 2021 okay. so there we All go right. yeah Recently, Wait, you live in brooklyn love i lived in brooklyn lived. no lived. i know but like you for i thought yeah but i thought you went to um where all the other russians go Bright what is it called Brighton? <laughs> that is brooklyn i mean that's oh, a really? part it's in yeah. brooklyn oh yeah. i don't know it my new york geography i'm from i'm from brighton i didn't i didn't always live there but i i did uh spend some of my uh youth there and it's uh it's a crazy place it is, yeah. A lot of did Russian you, uh, did mafia cheap people there. Did a gentleman offer you an Uzi in the back of a van? Is that <laughs> in the nineties? Yeah. It is. It is true, though. By the way, Vlad, and you could also. I mean, you weren't in that generation, but there was a generation in Brighton where there was a lot of crime, and then the Jewish yeah. mafia came in and they cleaned a lot of that up, and uh, things got safer there. No comment. Really? Okay. It's fine. Did, didn't they have the get thing too? Remember, the, yeah. The, the, yeah, 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 yeah. The, now, then I'm, they had to rely on us Italians to do some of that when they. I'm just saying the that the way down. the way things are going in Brooklyn right now, I don't know if a lot of you were aware of like all the uh, violent offenses against Jewish people that's going on there. In yeah, Brooklyn. yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm well aware of the rolling pogroms that are going on against uh, Orthodox Jews, yeah. and Jews in general. Yeah. So all I'm saying is that we got to bring the band back together. We got to get that Jewish mafia back in gear, you know? Uh-huh. Oh, my God. I, what are you too, <laughs> Is this too... Is the light in here too bright? I'm saying some some people uh, uh, are saying it's too too bright. 
No, no, it looks good. It looks good to me. Oh my god! Just ignore those. Ignore those comments, please. Yes. Uh, no, 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 but no, but in all in all seriousness, I know this kind of deviates away from what we're talking about. But in all seriousness, I think that New Yorkers, and this was at least my experience of being in the big city there, they've yep. gotten too comfortable with not having to worry about defending themselves. This is something that I think a country like Israel does not take for granted. And or something Ukraine. or Ukraine, exactly. Which is why I think that if the police are not going to help the people who are being persecuted in Brooklyn, something's gonna have to give. As far as what it's going to look like, I don't know. But uh I even recall, you know, back in the bad old days, my grandma, she ended up getting robbed by some hoodlums outside like in Foster Avenue. And yeah. My big concern is that at least the New Yorkers that I've been experiencing when I was living there, they don't care. They're like ostriches. They put their head in the ground. They don't want to think about it. And it does kind of tie in. I don't know where Prudentialist went here. It he had does... to go uh, with his family. He might come back later, but... Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, he had, if you read the chat, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, because I did want Prudentialist to uh, ask that particular thing about Ukraine. But Gio, you can ask it. You're here. And we have Andrzej Kozlowski joining <laughs> us once again. It's been a very oh, long yeah, time. Very I long think time, this. Yeah. yeah. So, Andres, I, fo I follow you. I follow the gentleman on on Twitter. Hello, sir. Yes. Well, yeah. I also, of course, I also follow you, uh, and uh, I enjoy it. So, uh, thank you. <laughs> so it's actually interesting, Andres, that you're here right now. You're in Japan. That's a very different situation. No, I'm not you... in Japan. Sorry. No, no, you're mistaken. No, uh, no, no. Where were you living in? No, I'm I'm in Poland. Oh, uh, you're in Poland I, right I, now. I, okay. Yes, I, I mean, okay, it's unclear from my Twitter, but I mean, I'm actually resident in Japan, but I cannot go there because it's, um, it's closed. Mm. It's closed. And I actually live in, I work in, I work in Poland. I've been working here for 10, more than 10 years, but, uh, but my wife is Japanese and I am also a permanent resident of Japan as well as of Poland. So, <laughs> and, uh, but no, so this is a confusion. I'm, I'm actually right quite near. Ah, all right. Well, uh, li living in Poland, I think it applies even more the uh, conversation here about uh, defense, about having uh, sovereignty while making sure that you don't go down the path of uh, dictatorship, where when I take a look at a country like Poland that's been through a lot, been through the Nazi occupation, Soviet occupation, in a way, I think it added like kind of like an inoculation of sorts. It, it was a deterrent, I think, for future rise of uh, dictatorships. And when it comes to countries that are in the West right now, if we're talking about, I'd say, the United States as well, France, uh, although you never know what's more what's going to happen. But if we're talking about these very liberal countries that don't know what it's like to be under the occupation of a dictatorship, like a communist dictatorship, my concern is that what Gio was hinting at, which I don't think we addressed, this, uh, this particular politically correct flavor that we see in colleges, social justice warriors. I mean, it's a dead horse yeah. by now for all the people well, who have already... it's not just that, Lev. It's not just, like, those particular issues, but also just the influence of, like, the sort of um, Anglo-American, British... Uh, sorry, Anglo-American liberal order upon these different nations. I mean, that's yep. one yeah, issue... Yeah, but when you say politics. liberal order... I don't want to just say that and uh, be fine with that uh, 
word without it being defined. So when we're talking about liberal order, are we talking about the ability for people to, uh, you know, not be persecuted based on the color of their skin? I like that. I don't think anybody here on the panel would disagree with me that that is fine. But if we're talking about there being something that would lead to a Chinese-style uh, social credit system based on the kind of speech that you, uh, that you say, based on your political views... That I think is something that well, should be, you know, sh should be avoided by at, at all costs, and well, something yeah, I think people have been ignoring. But that's what it entails. It's sort of disrupting the sort of the ways of life of the culture of these people in general that aren't subject to that sphere. That's probably the worryment that it, there there has to be sort of the one mono decultured uh, sort of apparatus that you know now if the whole world has you know Coca Cola and internet pornography then it's like we're going to be free. And I forget who said it wasn't that infamous, famous, infamous, um, was it Tom Friedman that had the article back in the 90s where he's like, no country, two countries that have McDonald's went to war with each other. Of course, that was proven wrong, though. That but, was um, proven wrong very recently, yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, now, now we all go to war. Yes, <laughs> McDonald's or not. Yes. yes. And soon McDonald's will go to war with uh, Starbucks in the future corporate corporatocracy where they'll have private military forces. <laughs> um, mm. yeah. but, no, no, but when we say liberal world order, what, what we are talking about is the post-Cold War consensus where mm -hmm. America mm -hmm. uh, basically rules the, the waves and America and the American fleet and 12 aircraft carriers make the world safe for shipping and where at least in Western Western Europe, Canada, Japan, uh, Mexico, some other Western countries do not go to war with each other, and they try to advance some sort of consensus about human rights and property ownership and liberal rights and, and, and civic rights and human rights. That's what we're talking about, the liberal order. Some people say that that is just code for American world domination, Mm -hmm. after the Cold War, and there's a good argument that that is true, but there's also a good counter-argument to that, that a world dominated by Americans is the least possible bad of all worlds, right? That's the counter-argument to that counter-argument. But when we talk about the liberal world order, we're talking about, you know, uh, a, a set of standards, norms, for uh, respecting human rights and respecting... Mm. Uh, sovereignty and but even the human thing. rights aspect of it yeah. is kind of code for certain western not just western but sort of like anglo-american picture of the self in general sure and that, that's true you know no. what i mean like a, yeah no but, but 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 besides that i think the bigger issue here is what are the negatives you see from that from that kind of order, from that order of focusing more on the self and more on human rights, what are the negative repercussions that you and other people within uh, the... Uh, yeah, but even the yeah. human rights discourse is kind of like a foil as well. I mean, it's very flowery well, language. Well, go ahead, Vlad. Yeah. Go ahead, Vlad. Yeah. Me? Well, I mean, I think that oh. perhaps I should enter. One, yes. problem yeah. with the world, <laughs> one problem with the world order, actually, and in fact, um, I just, uh, in fact... Um, this morning posted a translation on uh, uh, Twitter of uh, this Russian political scientist. He's actually a, a, a kind of apologist for Putin, well-known Fyodor Lukanov, 
we can't yeah, address we can't exactly exactly this point. And the point really is this: um, okay, the world order, as you described, the liberal order is a very good thing for many. I mean, and certainly I, I would say for the world. The problem is, can it be actually imposed and defended, and it can actually be maintained? And the our, and the problem is that experience seems to show that this is much harder than um, it seemed. And of course, there is a certain contradiction in it because exactly uh, this is exactly for, uh, what just has been said that um, this order, which I thoroughly approve of, this, well, I mean, personally, that I should say that there are several meanings of liberal actually, and we should actually sort of be careful about, uh, you know, not identifying them because on the one hand you have what you call the liberal world order. The other concept is that, and what you might well, there are, it's to do with liberalism itself, right? And this is a complicated issue that actually would uh, lead to very long discussion. But one view of liberalism is that there is a particular way that a society should be arranged uh, to, to um, achieve such things that we called freedom, right? That there is one particular way that is known that is based on things like division of power, this, you know, separating the executive from, from legislative, having, and, and etc. In other words, there's a method. So, for example, what it implies is that if you see a society where people are seem to be free, at least in their own mind, right? But you see that it doesn't fit this. Like, for example, you may see, take well, a good example is Austro-Hungarian Empire in its late period, where actually we would say, as far as life was concerned, was a pretty liberal sort of society in oh, yeah. most kinds of things, but it was not liberal at all in terms of the those same um, qualities that uh, are supposed to be, I mean, the, the way the, the system was arranged, right? The political apparatus, apparatus yeah. and so on. So you, so the other approach would be that, well, maybe we should concentrate more on the actual, you know, um, results rather than the, and um, rather than insisting that, um, you know, society, for example, you come to a society which appears to be working well and the people are, seem to be satisfied, but you tell them that actually, no, um, it's all wrong. You really need to have a parliamentary system. You need to introduce, um, you know, you have a benevolent autocracy, which actually essentially lets people let people get on with their lives. Such, such systems have existed. I mean, after all, even 19th century England was not a democracy. And you were saying, well, now, today, no, this is all, we, we, the result may be okay. Well, we, of course, know there is always that, you know, the very, the very um, origins of the idea that you need to create a system based on institutions that will, is precisely the distrust of human beings, because you know that, you know, you can have ideal emperors, you can have Marcus Aurelius as emperor, yes. and he has a son who is Commodus, and you cannot rely on the fact that if you have um, this kind of um, system that uh, it will not um, by simply getting the wrong people, replacing the good people, it will not actually turn into a, for example, tyranny. So what you want to do is create a system that will be independent on any, on human virtues, human personality, the institutions themselves will run it, right? It is, it, it no, and that is the, basically the part of the modern liberal idea. I mean, building institutions. so. They would work without an um, independent mm -hmm. what kind of people you have, virtuous or not, and so on. 
And there has been, of course, the conservative argument against this was that you cannot actually, or one of the arguments that you really cannot um, replace a human virtue, human, that, that institutions will not by themselves do that. So that's one kind of um, one kind of thing. The other kind of thing is this again, which is entering in, is somewhat different from this. Is what I would call progressive liberalism. That is the the belief. This is centered on some kind of idea, not of liberty really, but equality or liberty, but is understood as being, you know, um, what they call positive liberty. That means you are not free until basically you can do anything you wish. Right. And then that, that liberalism, it means it consists of basically, if you like, trying to find all possible inequalities that you can, you should still eliminate. And whenever you reach any stage, you say, well, it's still not because, for example, there are these kind of people, like um, people who feel they should be, they were born in the, you know, in the wrong sex, or they, and they want to be everybody to say that they are what they wish to be seen. And then you can actually think of many more, many more things. In fact, it's a never-ending process. You can ask yourself, well, okay, is it, uh, is, do we ever reach the point where, um, you know, when this, when uh, there is still no more um, need for more equality? <laughs> Whereas, uh, where, I mean, I would have said that for me, by the say, at the time of the end of the Soviet Union, that we reached as much equality and uh, liberty as, um, as I ever imagined. But then it turned out that not on the con of course not for the many people now. I mean, remember that before that, before the end of that, there was hardly any issues like um, trans rights and others. They were never, um, there were no non-issues, right? And suddenly they became issues. And when you, of course, the, we have the feeling that this process itself has no limit. That uh, So that is another kind of thing that hmm. people call liberalism. But it's not yeah. the same thing. The <laughs> idea about institutions... That also didn't seem to work so well because mm. I mean we now have noticed that um, the institutions by themselves don't appear to you know you, you mm. they become corrupt and that's, that's the that's, that, that's the crux of the matter. Wait, Gio, one second. We have a comment from Nico for fifty yeah, yeah. ARS. So a super chat from Nico who says, "Oh, what's ARS? That's Australian? Uh, no, no, that's Argentinian." So he says oh, the, yes. the liberal world order is now fully progressive. It used to be liberal, but no more. They want the state to manage everything French Revolution style, and that is a big concern that people have had here, where it comes to they see liberalism as being something that even with good intentions automatically leads to where we are now. Well, let me so, give you a crux of the yeah. matter, Lev, before Vlad responds. That was a really great point, Mr. Kozlowski. I think that you really enumerated the heart of it. I think the, the contention is that people are starting to see is that both forms of liberalism, both economic liberalism and progressive liberalism, they are being used in tandem to sort of instantiate these sort of, let's call it, the, um, the lead of American or North American capital to just basically invade the world through sort of um, eroding the traditional structures of power within these nations. I know this is a very, in some ways, 90s left liberal Naomi Klein point about the shock doctrine, but I think it's more or less in parts of it are true in the sense that giving people economic liberalism and progressive liberalism was sort of let the sort of sharks of, you know, Anglo-American capital to come in and basically eviscerate these countries and put in all sorts of, uh, you know, liberalization schemes, both socially and economically. I think that's what the biggest concern is, is that this really is just a foil 
for invading these countries by other means and, and sort of propping up the balance of power that is very fragile, that's reliant upon infinite growth and infinite uh, capital prosperity, which is, of course, you know, it's human impossibility only if we ensure that the whole world is working together in tandem to secure this uh well, I, I, I'm going too far. I'm mm. going into... Well, Vlad, I would like to know your thoughts. Right now, and then but, uh, you know. and, uh, Mr. Kozlowski as well. So, Vlad, uh, what do you think? Do you agree with Gio? Disagree there? Oh, you're oh, muted. Oh, you got to unmute yourself. Yeah, yeah. Everybody subscribe. While Vlad is uh, unmuting. There we go. Uh, while, I'm yeah, while I am unmuting, you subscribe. And also, get it, go on Amazon and get a copy of yes. my book from Odessa with Love if you want to know about Ukraine. I want to actually talk about it. your book before we leave yeah. before the stream ends. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I will. I would love to talk about my book and I'd love to get back to the Ukrainian political situation. Um, right. I have tremendous respect for uh, for Mr. Kozlovsky and his, his worldview <laughs> and his, uh, his uh, critique of liberalism and his critique of the, uh, uh, the limits of liberalism and uh, the, the place where liberalism turns into progressivism. And, uh, you know, the Hazani argument about um, the, the creeping of liberalism into, uh, into other kinds of political ontologies. I myself have a master's degree in human rights law. I wrote my human rights thesis in Venice on uh, five schools, theories of criticism of the uh, foundations, of the universal foundations of human rights theory, um, anarchist, Marxist. Uh, third worldist, fascist, conservative nonsense and stilts from the conservatives. Uh, there are numerous, well, five main schools of thought criticism against the human rights consensus and the, the universalism of the foundationalism of the human rights consensus. So I, I have some sympathy for the Marxist and the conservative and the anarchist, uh, but not the fascist or the third worldist critiques of the universality of human rights. But when I said, when I said liberal world order, I was actually making a very, very bare and very, very constrained arguments about security arrangements. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I, uh, uh, Dr. Kozlovsky, Mr. Kozlovsky, uh, he's entirely correct about critique of progressivism and of the decay of institutions and all that. Those are very legitimate conversations to have. And progressivism is a problem because of its own internal uh, metaphysical vector. But I was just talking about the Americans and the Europeans curating the order that was left over after 1991, where outside of some places like the, the Middle East and Africa, where the order doesn't apply, we have a particular structure of security where we don't have competition between states or competition on the military level between states, which is a, a, an order that's quickly degrading. I'm just talking about protecting America, Canada, Japan, Mexico, Europe up to the Ukrainian-Polish border and up to the Portuguese border on the other side from the vicissitude of history, as in keeping Europe from being a killing zone. That's what I was talking about. Mm. Does that make sense, sir? Yes, of course. Now, I completely agreed with it. In fact, I didn't have any... In, you know, the, my first remark was one meaning of... Uh, I mean, the, when you talk about world order, liberal world order, then you are referring to relations between states rather than the... And no, relation between states and the 
indeed what you said actually enters into this because for example uh, we you know the relations for example i mean this essential thing is in, in in dealing with countries like the whole point is if i say when we deal with countries which are too powerful to impose our will on in other words countries like china and to and russia also in at least um, the respect, military respect where we have to actually make compromises in and that was something that didn't happen immediately after uh, the, the collapse of communism where the west was triumphant so when i said the problem with that, that um, meaning of world order is not actually um, that it's a bad thing the question is how do we actually impose it or how do we get it in the presence of china for example when we are actually facing now with a power that is um, that is actually beginning to match America. And then we have the rogue revengeist um, Russia, which also has nuclear weapons and now learned how to actually, and it's beginning to show that in fact, this kind of um, uh, hopes that we had that, uh, you know, economic uh, factors will become dominant, that military power will become insignificant and so on, that these hopes have not been fully realized. And the real, and I completely agree, hundred percent, that the advantage, the superiority of the West, the reason why we had this liberal order, which I hundred percent support, and I'm actually don't quite agree with the fact that the United States that it serves for American capitalists to exploit uh, countries. For example, I don't think Poland was actually in any way. I can easily see is in any sense um, the target of any kind of thing that was uh, mentioned. Mm. But uh, let's say. Just the opposite. Um, just the opposite. Yeah. Or, uh, or uh, South Korea, for that matter. Well, yeah, but there there are certain groups that certainly agitate. Yeah, Japan for so many years, and I wouldn't say that the Japanese, in any sense, on the contrary. Uh, you know, I I can tell you what happened. One episode when I came to Poland for the first time after because you know I emigrated in 1968. I never I I didn't have Polish nationality. I uh, I was. I am a British citizen. I never intended to go back. And then communism collapsed. And uh, then I went to a conference in uh, just at, after the first election. Okay, so I'm a mathematician. There was a mathematical conference. I was tempted to go. I I had to get a visa even because I didn't have a Polish citizenship at the time. They restored it later. And that was still in the last immediately after the first um, not semi-free elections, which is which led to the communist losing power. And we had this mathematics conference, and then after that, everybody was so excited about politics, they invited some, some um, Polish solidarity figures and so on. And then people asked um, questions, you know. And one of the people who um, was our very famous mathematician, who was, um, by the way, I mean, if I mention who, then it would be easy to identify if I mention more who it was. But I could say, well, he's the mm -hmm. grandson of the former head of the American Communist Party. And a very famous, a very famous mathematician. And then he asked that question. He said to the Polish, uh, to this Polish. Um, uh, I know, from, I know who it is. We keep yeah. talking, sir. And then he said, um, his, his question was like this. Oh, not actually. He said, "What you will, what will happen here is that the American, American capital will buy a foreign capital, not American capital. Sorry, not foreign capital. Foreign capital will buy out everything of value here in your country, just like the Japanese and the Germans have done in the United States." Well, that is what that was the atmosphere at the time just like the so the according to this version and that is the united states 
is controlled by was controlled by Japanese and German capital, and we don't own anything. Well, so <laughs> all the boomers switched to hating the Chinese instead of the Japanese after that World yeah. War II. Uh, yes. yeah. So yeah. I mean, I'm curious. Oh, sir, go ahead. Go ahead. No, so I meant that. Um, uh, oh, let's return to the original thought. What I had was, well, of course, the question is that um, can we maintain uh, this? Um, you know, um, I mean, the. You can see if you listen to this, uh, what Lukan of says, he he has this argument basically. He's he's like Vladimir Posner in many ways in the days Soviet days, and the argument is like this: Well, I am sort of on your side. I like also liberal order, liberalism, and so on. But you know, you can't do anything about China. There's absolutely nothing you can do. China has its own culture. Russia has You better leave it. Uh, Alone, you cannot do anything about the Uyghurs. All the protesting will do will do no good. So you have to accept. Um, forget about it. Lead, let's just try to make an arrangement that is, um, you know, um, about how to deal with the state. Essentially, it, it is the idea of spheres of influence. Of course, the famous argument against that, the argument against that, and that is given, you know, by, for example, Stephen Hawking very, very well. I mean and other people, is that, in fact, this is a deception. It won't work. Why is it? Because it's as long as we, as our systems are more attractive, as long as, then these, these states, both China and Russia, will never feel safe. And as they never feel safe, they will always be our enemies one way or another. Uh, that animosity is forced by the fact that they are threatened not by our activities, but because we are too at the West is too attractive to their own people. And that you can see this all the time. Uh, so, um, so in a sense, you, this are trying to actually establish this relationship. Well, you can, of course, because we don't want to have a nuclear war, but we have to also realize that they are actually constantly interested in our uh, destruction or in making things look so bad here that we will stop being attractive. And I mean, that's both Russia and China is very, they are very happy about what's going on in America today. Undoubtedly, because it's actually for the Chinese, it's a it's a great opportunity, for example, to, to show the, to the Chinese people and also even to American Chinese that actually it's better, you know, you bet, it, it's better in China. That I mean, you you know, you, you can go to Chinese university and you will have no problems with all those um, things that you have in America. And then if you are famous scientists, they will treat you very well. They will create. They take American famous physicists and ask them to create. They create institutions that they name after them, and then they treat them super well, and so on. And then, and then people say, "Well, all you need to do is not to criticize the Chinese government and don't to criticize the Communist Party, and you will get uh, you get better salaries in America." Yeah. So it's very attractive, and uh, that is the. Um, and you see, and the other point is that to maintain our power, I mean, to protect this liberal system, we need to be more powerful than they. Correct. To be more powerful than they, we we rely on the fact that we believe that um, the, the free societies produce because of the greater creativity, the greater freedom that they give, they will be more powerful. And better, they not better proven efficiency. wrong, I think. No, no, better efficiency and better technology and, and yes. more fairness. 
Yeah, well, uh, mm. That's not panning out recently, yeah. or at least twenty well, years is yeah, not. It's not. Been, it's absolutely. Uh, it's absolutely not panning out. And yeah, both. Uh, both... see the Chinese are better. So, oh fuck! <laughs> I'm not saying that the Chinese are no, better. No, clear, no, no way. Clearly, they're not. Yeah. They're, it's certainly not a more free system, and it's certainly not a more meritocratic system. Uh, clearly not. I mean, meritocracy mm. is the way to become rich and the way to become. Mm. And they have huge inefficiencies mm. that people don't talk about as well. Yeah. Yeah. But the uh, but I think yeah. the big uh, the big question here is is the kind of system that the United States and the West under right now as far as the potential fears of us having a Chinese style social credit system and all this indoctrination is that uh, do you think Mr. Kozlowski and Vlad is that a inevitability? of having the kind of liberal system that allows for as much comfort that as much that allows for as much freedom for those really bad ideas to start fomenting or is there a way out is there a way that we could find good balance well, here i think it's interesting though like mr Kozlowski has experienced i think such a huge and monumental arc of history like poland in a lot of ways was like that center of activity um for experiencing Soviet history and the end of Soviet history and going from America to Japan to Poland. I think that's quite fascinating. Um, but I, I don't, I think nowadays the situation we find ourselves in is in some ways unique, but in some ways, I mean, old hat. I mean, this is sort of the, the politics of nations have been around for like a few hundred yes. years. And so I, I don't know. I think that, like it's someone in the chat said, well, debating this is fine, but it's ultimately a waste of time because what are we going to do about it? I mean, well, it's well no, of, this is why I asked then, the question uh, right before you uh, I, I replied. Think, but to cap that, I, and I wanted to ask Vladimir about the, the critiques of human rights from his master's thesis. Um, I, when I was my, when I did my politics MA, I was, I was, you know, talking about uh, Michelle Foucault and things of that nature. But uh, I think like, what we're seeing now here, for example, in Canada or in the Ukraine or elsewhere, we're seeing sort of a fragility of basic infrastructural uh, politics and issues. I mean, the solid infrastructure itself of the West is sort of like being called into question now. Correct. I, I, I absolutely agree with that. And I absolutely yeah. do agree that that uh, the economic and political, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, the economic and political uh, you know, consensus that we are defending is uh, is uh, no longer uh, solid uh, ground in, mm. in the West. I mean, uh, when seventy percent of American population vote either for national conservative style Trumpism or for basically uh, a AOC. 19th century, yeah, AOC. Well, not even. Well, she wasn't on the ballot, but but uh, but uh, what if but, she was? Sanders yeah. was no Sanders. Sanders. Oh, Sanders style, like yeah, yeah social. Sanders, yeah. Sanders represents something very different from AOC. I mean, obviously, mm -hmm. but is that, but is that's this whole issue? That's another no, stream. In but itself. as I was, I, I but as I was, go, I have ooh. to go in a few minutes. So oh, okay, I have, I have another podcast and something else to do. Vlad, you, you got to come back later I, on. I would, I would love to have you. To, I, I really enjoy this. Um, uh, too, Can uh, I? Uh, Please. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I want to I, ask you about your book about... Uh, oh, shit. Damn. Sorry. So many things. So many things to talk about. Yes. Oh, I want to ask you about your book. And, from and, Odessa um, with from Love. A, a literary criticism perspective. Sure. Um, is there a uniqueness to a lot of Ukrainian folklore as opposed to sort of the, the greater Russian sort of like Rus sphere? And, and do you no. feel that the sort of... 
was there a revival of traditional folklore and storytelling in you in Ukraine after the Soviet Union, after the sort of like monoculture of this like very atheistic and imposing Soviet order? Is that the thesis of your book, uh, specifically in Odessa? Because Odessa was really like a heart of you know yeah. literature okay, and so art. There's a lot of th- le- le- a lot uh, to uh, uh, yeah. there's a lot to unpack there. First of all, when the, when Ukraine when when Ukraine voted to leave the Soviet Union and every region of Ukraine voted for independence for Moscow, that was something that did not dissolve fully the Soviet Empire mentality and the work of de- decommunization and the work of creating independent national institutions, whatever whatever that might be, whatever direction the Ukrainian state or Ukrainian people wanted to evolve in. That was not done for 25 years. So basically mm-hmm. they replaced the, the state with another state. They replaced the symbols of Ukraine of, of the Soviet socialist Ukrainian Republic with nationalist uh, symbols. And they changed one flag to another and they changed one national anthem to another. But basically they were not living in a different country. They were not living in a different mentality. They were not. They were living in a different political economy, slowly, and they did change political economic system, but they didn't change psychological structures. They didn't change cultural structures. They didn't change a lot. They didn't have very serious conversations about what the ideology of a state is, what the culture of a state is, what the point of a country is how they're going to live with other people, how they're going to live with each other, how they're going to live with the West, how they're going to live with their own culture, how they're going to live with their future, how they're going to live with the past. What, what does it mean that we did these things in 1917, 1918, 1919 during the first uh, Ukrainian Republic? What did our ancestors do between 1933? What is the Hull of the Moor? What, what, what does it mean that Bandera Zhukhevich killed a lot of Polish and Jewish people? What is our relationship to Russia? What is our relationship to the Soviet Union? What is our relationship to to, uh, colonization? What is our relationship to the future? Those conversations did not take place until the Maidan. And Mm. they start to take place around 2014, 2015, as the country starts to find its own footing. That's what my book's about. Interesting, interesting. So those are are conversations the Polish had, as as, uh, Mr. Kozlowski will say, will understand, and those are natural conversations that the Polish had w- between themselves. But because Ukraine was capture- a captured state and had still a- an unhealthy relationship with Moscow and was very corrupt and was very poor because the Poles and the Ukrainians started at the same economic level, but Poland is now three times wealthier per capita. And by most, most standards, like they're at the level of South Korea now. Whereas the Ukrainians and Poles started out at basically the same level 30 mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. The Poles are now three times wealthier, right? Yeah. yeah. And those conversations simply did not take place. They're taking place now. That's what my do, book's about. Do you think that because Poland had more of a cultural solidarity and certainly religious solidarity with the Catholic Church, that they managed to sort of crawl out of that post-Soviet structure? Now, for, for example, I'm yeah, more... Like, I mean, very important yes. fact. Sorry, I interrupt. You oh, good. I mean, they are very different situation because uh, most of Poland was not part of the Soviet Union. That's right. right. It was like a, a very yeah, big difference. Yeah. It's not, um, no, it's That's not right. the same thing. It's not the same thing. Communism was not, communism was there for a shorter period. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. For a much shorter period. And the, and the Poles, the Poles, at the end of the day, they ran oh. their own country. Polish, you, you Polish must, communists yes. ruled the country. It was Poles yeah. who ruled Poland, right? You, yeah. you, you must not forget that Polish communists, uh, you see, the Polish communists not only uh, presented themselves as Polish patriots, and yes. all yes. the Polish national struggle, even against Russia, was, of course, taught in textbooks and so on. It was not that something like it, uh, uh, not like, um, for example, in in the Soviet Union. That's but right. not only that, but not on, but but um, furthermore, um, the you know um, um, what are they, what are they going to say? I mean that. Um, uh, so yeah, okay. So I mean, the basically, basically, the the communists claimed to be the doing uh, the best for Poland. The best for Poland. They actually reduce the the way they. Criticized. And not Moscow. They didn't even call themselves communists, you know. Yeah, that's that's right. Communist Party avoided this name. It it chose deliberately. It actually Poland even had um, you know a, a pseudo uh, non-communist parties. They were puppet parties of the communists, but they were maintained in order. And in fact, they played an important role. It's a kind of oh. irony of history, but it always happens. It's played an they played an important role in the transition to from communism, mm. uh, but it's complicated. It's I think it's problem. important. I think it's very important that that the, the Polish communists ran Poland ostensibly in the best interests of the Polish people, yes. Yes. which that was not the case with Ukrainians. The, the Ukrainian I mean, nation really... state. Yeah, I mean, uh, 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 Andrei, you and I don't disagree on this at all, right? No, but was the Ukrainian part. leadership specifically just a puppet of Moscow at that time, or was it something? Like you said, it was a conquered. It was a mixed system. It was a mixed system. It was Ukrainian communists who ran Ukraine, exactly. but it, but they they ran it uh, with not the. I mean, they repressed Ukrainian nationalism in Ukrainian culture, even as they yes. were ethnic Ukrainians. Mm. Uh, Simonenko, Simonenko, Ukrainian. Ukra- he's ethnic Ukrainian as the day is long, but he was not running the country in favor of Ukrainian after nationalism. All, after all, even Khrushchev would. Was called the Ukrainian, you see. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots, lots of the, lots of the communist uh, party apparatus in, in Moscow were ethnic Ukrainians. But they weren't ra- running the communist party apparatus in Moscow for the greater good of the Ukrainian nation. Certainly yeah. Not. Oh yeah. Just like Stalin well, I... wasn't running for the greater good of Georgia, as far oh, as I understand. Well, that's... well, I'm, I'm, I'm an artist, a painter, and I, I know about the history of the visual art at the time and how Soviet realism certainly infiltrated a lot of. Um, the consciousness of these peoples mm. in Ukraine and so forth. But literarily, I think that's very interesting mm. about how you're tying in the sort of uh, the, the literature and the folklore of Ukraine at the time. It's very, very mm. fascinating. Thank you so much. Thank oh, you so much. Yeah. And I also know, Vlad, that before you have to go, we Thank have a comment from Oscar Toe uh, talking Please. about uh, Pushkin. I just happen to have over here, this was smuggled from uh, Russia. I don't know if you can see that's beautiful. Uh, the title over mm. here. It's beautiful, so, Pushkin, Pushkin yeah. and this is volume, uh, volume uh, ten over here, and I have the entire volume set behind oh. me. So this is a real treasure over here, the uh, work That's of Pushkin. Wonderful. Is it in Russian or English? Yes, full Russian. 
Oh. This is right, right, right from uh, the. What is what is Oscar Toast's question? I, I'd love to answer that. Uh, uh, yes, uh, he was. Let's see. Uh, well, he said, uh, "Does on oh, oh, well, it was question for Mr. Kozlowski, uh, which we can answer after uh, after yeah, uh, words, you have because to go. I know you have to go. But, I'm very serious, but, but yeah. I want to promote your book once again. Everybody, uh, everybody, please get it. I'm going to post a link to from Odessa with Love: Political and Literary Essays in a Post-Soviet Ukraine. So I'm posting it in the chat right now. Uh, for all you peanut gallery people in the chat, take it, buy it, and please, uh, Vladislav, you're muted right now. You got to mute I'm yourself. Really, I'm really grateful uh, that you guys are so interested in my work. I'm grateful that you know, some of you maybe will buy the book and will read it. Uh, I'm grateful that there's so much interest in Ukraine and this difficult time here. I'm hoping, uh, follow me on, on Twitter. I'm uh, on Twitter a lot, too much, some of my employers say. Posted the uh, Twitter link right there. That's great. Yeah, uh, it's a difficult situation here. I hope there will be no wars tomorrow. We'll see what happens. Thank you for having me on. Get my book, Slava Ukraini. Uh, uh, thank you so much. Liberal world очень... order minus progressivism, right? Очень приятно. Большое спасибо. Всего доброго. Please come again. We have to many things to talk. Yes. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So I want to get back to the question uh, to... Uh, uh, Hold on, let me once again correct the screen because this always happens. But I want to uh, get back to the uh, question to Mr. Kozlowski, uh, which was asked by Oscar Toe, uh, whether you are also an admirer of uh, Alexander Pushkin's work. Well, yes, actually, I could show you my... Uh, my uh, uh, <laughs> I also, also have um, um, Pushkin uh, in Russian because, I mean, I read Russian poetry also in Russian. And I, uh, yes, I, uh, so I actually uh, have books which I, um, in Russian, Pushkin's works, also all Tolstoy and Dostoevsky and lots of other things which I bought in actually England after emigrating um, in a bookstore in Oxford. Um, and um, the only, the, these, the interesting thing is that there was one of these books, was um, all of them were published in the Soviet Union. Oh, I bought then. I started, you know, I actually learned Russian very, very early in my childhood for reasons which are rather funny, and I'm, I don't want to now <laughs> talk about it, but it's not very usual for Polish, uh, for Polish, um, uh, for Poles. I mean, it's a very easy language to learn if you try, but actually, most, you know, Poles tended to be reluctant to learn Russian. So I actually, I actually started reading Russian uh, somewhat later, but only a little bit after I. Uh, could read Polish um, because my father showed me how to read letters and then after that I actually just you know uh, it's kind of very funny because I mean uh, you know the, the, again it's sort of diver digressing uh, but uh, yeah so I mean uh, I read Russian poetry and Pushkin Lermontov um, there's now I uh, I read uh, still all the time uh, quite a lot of Russian um, Russian poetry in fact, um, uh, I would say that um, you, uh, I have discovered a, a different Russian poet who is um, maybe modern or 20th century Russian poet who, who I would say now is my uh, favorite. I'm reading him almost every day, uh, but um, uh, that is... Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> um, Yes, it's time to actually. Um, I'm just looking for the first. It is Glaskov, 
who is um, um, basically the creator of Samizdat in the uh, uh, um, poet of the um, uh, modern poet, of course, the poet who was never published in the Soviet Union practically. Mm. Who, Nikolai who, um, Glaskov. Yes. Um, Glaskov, I suppose. I'm not completely sure I will stress because my, you know. Ah, my, yes. <laughs> uh, but um, yes, exactly. Mm. Sam Sam is the dissident activity across the socialist Eastern Bloc in which individuals reproduce censored and underground yes, makeshift yes. publications. My mom was doing that, by the way. My mom was one yes. of the people who was uh, transferring the uh, uh, works of uh, you know people like Nabokov, for example, and uh, so on and so forth. And she ended up getting arrested for that. Yes, 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 yes. Of course, yes, yes. Yeah. See, this is but, what we uh, had to, Geo, this is what people had to deal with back then when it came oh, to, uh, you know, like. We're going to deal with it soon enough. <laughs> but that is, but that does go back to the big question, which we were asking earlier, Mr. Kozlowski. Do you think that liberal liberalism in terms of the kind of creature comforts and freedoms that we enjoy, do you think that that inevitably leads to the kind of culture where we have this political correctness and this, uh, the fear that the political correctness will lead to speech being banned and not able to express your political opinion and slowly the frog ends up being boiled or do you think that that is an exaggeration and it could go a different way well you see you know this is a well-known thesis that is what um, uh, that, uh, the, and this is i myself would say well the question is what 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 actually it amounts to is a question that or the claim that there is something fundamentally contradictory in the liberal idea uh, that in fact it actually leaves leads by itself by its nature to denying itself that it is um, whether that is so and whether it is inevitable you know um, i don't think this is there is a, some kind of um, you can say logical problem and i think there is more than one problem because there are things uh, one problem is this um, this thing that in fact we, in principle, these ideas um, lack uh, uh, some kind of, this is what I was saying, they lack the, for example, progressivism in itself, we see it as uh, uh, something that is very attractive, because we can see it comes from the very first feeling that um, there is injustice in the world, and that injustice could be corrected. Uh, but then we find that actually what is in that there is no such kind of given criteria without of course so religions offer you that religions tell you such thing but without religions you find yourself that you uh, you there is no definite criteria what is in unjust you can actually find new and new things that you begin to uh, see as such and in the end you might say well unless men are made completely you know identical in all respects, there will be always injustice. For example, being more able, being more beautiful, being more, uh, being more attractive, right? All those things are unjust. You should, uh, uh, at one, in, you know. And there is the question: How this started, and why, uh, why it is, um, why such a thing has um, has been going on? Because you can, we can trace it to back in history. Uh, you know, the, uh, Alexis de Tocqueville was very much um, kind of owed by this because he he believed that he thought that from some point on, po human 
beings, human history was just taken over by this idea that man must be made more equal. And that this idea just is not stopping, that he thought that the next step, he at first you remove the distinctions from birth, right? I mean, the people were born as nobles and so on. The next things come to property, you must make them equal in property, and then it will continue, right? And then people indeed start saying, well, why should there be difference between men and women? And then, of course, why should there be, and so on. I mean, talent, for example, why it is unfair, right? Uh, and uh, it, it goes on like that. And we don't have any kind of um, place where we say, well, it must stop. The second problem is, is connected with that, because it's connected with the first thing. That was the thing that liberal, these liberal societies also have enemies, that there are these um, predator states, dictatorships usually, and once and this, and they, and the only reason why any, any kind of liberalism survives is because of this amazing thing, which is still we don't understand. It is, it is um, again, necessary or it was just an accident that liberalism was stronger, that with the creation of science and technology, it became more powerful than the, uh, than the Nazis, more powerful than the Soviets, that it, and so on, that it was able, and then everybody started saying, and the communists too, that actually, you know, what was attractive about uh, market economies, that they produce power, nothing else. Mm, you can, yeah. that was what they wanted. They wanted, they noticed that actually America, with all its chaotic system, which appears to be make no sense, it's actually more powerful. It creates all this what? technology weapons and everything else. And they wanted that without having any of the rest. Right? Mm. And well, that's we a great point. Whether that, and we never knew from the beginning when the Soviet Union collapsed, there was the question, is, is, this, is China, for example, going to be able to do what obviously they wanted, to borrow that part from that, um, say, liberal system, which makes you stronger, but not, and, and not the rest. Right? No, um, <laughs> for example, could you, you know that you need to give some freedom to those, for example, who engage in some kind of creative activity. You need to give freedom to the scientists and so on. But on the other hand, you don't want to give any freedom to everybody else. And, yeah. Uh, it's and either the is, scientists or the subversives <laughs> in society yeah, that course. get freedom, well, not you. One of, the, one of the problems they have, of course, is their own children. You know, that's always been the problem with the communists, that, you know, the Communist Party had created a system, unlike the old aristocracy, where it was recruiting people. But it, naturally, they, they attempted, like all human beings, to try to make, um, you know, assure the best life for their own children. You know that, uh, you know, um, uh, Kim Jong-il, the father of um, Kim Jong-un, cho originally chose his other son to be his successor. But the other son didn't want to be dictator. He didn't. He preferred to go to Disneyland. He, <laughs> he was the one who preferred that. He just didn't have that character. He didn't like to, the idea. And but for you know, it turned out that he had uh, he had another one. He and uh, and he, as you know, the the older brother was murdered. Uh, but um, he was half brother, I think. But um, but that is the kind of thing that happens. They cannot guarantee that um, the next generation. Will will still want to be, will not start um, mm. preferring, for example, life in the West and so on. Oh yeah. But the funny thing now with the next generation here in America, at least, is it seems like the next generation Gen Z 
is much more inclined to following authority, is much more inclined to thinking that, well, uh, like, how would you well, say I it, Gio? Mean, uh, yes. I would oh, say, I would... it seems to me, yes, you are right, but it seems to me that basically it's kind of very uh, uh, sort of, um, well, I don't know, of course, because, again, uh, I'm just sort of detached from it, but it seems to me that it comes from the fact, again, that... Uh, you know, there is a large part of that uh, next gen of this current gen generation that believes that, um, that they need this authority to provide them with the kind of things that the, um, that they believe they, they they deserve, they should have, and they are not able to get themselves. In yeah, exactly. Words, and the, how this happened? Why? Why this is phenomenon? The question, original question, was whether it is inevitable, whether yes. it's built into the idea. And I have to say that this is—I don't think that it can be answered for sure. Um, I mean, because yeah. we—I don't think that there is strictly logically necessary. Mm. Like some people, I mean, I know there are some people, philosophers and others, who conservative philosophers, well-known ones, who claim that they can prove. Almost like mm. it was something. Well, like a, like Nietzsche like, talking about the last man, for instance, or talking about the need for yeah. war, yeah. where yeah. you don't have war, people end up getting soft. Well, and, well that's a great you know point. Mean? When you look at the structure of liberalism, what, um, um, when you bring up that point about technology, that's a very um, a lot of reactionary writers would talk about how technology masks the sort of contradictions of liberalism and how material progress is a great soma is a great blocking off of the actual spiritual damage that the liberal system is doing to people nowadays. And I think that when it comes to the inevitability of its collapse or rather the inevitability of its omnipotence and why it's so attractive, there are cracks and fissures, but there are certain people, um, I mean, this is like Mark Fisher, capitalist realism that like, you know, people can imagine the sun exploding before liberalism and capitalism disappear. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think that inevitably there probably will be a mutation of them, but there also, I think, will be a counteraction against them. And they really don't have, I think, not nearly as much sway as it did they did in 1999. Like in 2022, I think is kind of like, there's more of a willingness to call into question the liberal order now than there was in like, you know, 2001. I mean, it's, but that being said, I think that, well, where are we going with this love? Um, <laughs> no, about, well, well, I want to figure out if there's a way out, if there is a way that we can preserve some uh, sanity in a world that seems to be going more insane. Well, the problem, the problem is that like I'm, I'm saying recently in this thing about the convoy, this article is that, you have, you're starting to see like global liberalism is molding itself into accommodating a biosecurity state, which you would think logically would dictate an end to globalization as we know it, right? Especially the traveling of peoples. But we haven't seen that. We're mm. seeing rather. Well, actually, let me, let me push it. back. Uh, Mr. Kozlowski, I'm curious. When it comes to, I don't know if you were following France, I heard different things where now when you go to Paris, you're not seeing all the immigrants there. You're not seeing the, uh, you know, the uh, slums that used to uh, be all around the uh, capital, where some countries are using the current pandemic situation almost like an excuse. Not yeah. to verbally say we're gonna kick out and you know remove you know all the migrants, but 
doing that behind the scenes so that they don't get called bigots and racists, but so that that process is done. I don't know if that's, in fact, what happened, but I'm curious if you were uh, looking into that. Well, I, I, not, not, I mean, in some sense, I, it would be the kind of thing that I always expected to happen. Uh, this particular thing I, I, I was not aware of. I mean, or rather, never hasn't occurred to me. And I haven't heard about it, but it sounds very, uh, very much in line with other things that have been happening like this. I mean, the fact is that, the, you know, there are various, um, there are, you, if you read the even very liberal writers about this, uh, some of them who are still committed to, for example, um, more immigration for reasons which are sometimes economic, sometimes um, just cultural and so on. But they also, even they say nowadays that we have to slow down, we have to stop. Because if we don't, this is going to get the whole thing into trouble. Let's say the far right will eventually start winning uh, elections. That the, and then when this happens, then there is going to be, you know, it's, it's actually going to be certain fundamental, even uh, sort of thing that we take for granted may start being disregarded. For example, the very fact that once you inherit your citizenship from your parents, you are already safe. It cannot be taken away. Well, it's not impossible to imagine that in the future it could be declared you need to two generations of, um, for example, um, uh, native ancestors, so-called, to, for example, be considered for citizen. This would be completely unthinkable today, but it's not completely un unthinkable in the future. So the uh, for, so it, it starts with, for example, you know, deporting um, people who don't have citizenship, criminals, and so on. This is what Denmark has started doing, and for example, which has a social democratic government, but they, they and then the next step may be to consider people, for example, when I, I became naturalized British citizen, you know, when you, I don't know whether it's still true, probably it is, when you sign the, um, you take your oath of allegiance, there is a clause which says the Home Secretary can deprive you of your, uh, of your right of naturalization under certain circumstances, right? And that is, it is stated, so you don't have that, um, Guarantee. Now, traditionally, once you are already second generation, you are okay. But of course, um, I think this is not 100% guaranteed that this will remain. I mean, the fact is that um, I would say uh, I don't think there is any historical case where any kind of, um, what's a people, nation, what considered itself a nation, committed a suicide. And uh, I think that uh, the instinct of self-preservation will, at some point, start becoming, uh, uh, you know, playing very big role. I mean, the, what happens is that. So I would say that there is um, th that is being realized by even by the, uh, you know, people who, will, like I said, Denmark. It's, a, it's an mm. actually left-wing government. What they, that has been one of the most most um, forceful in this. In this, uh, so uh, so that is uh, that is. Um, uh, I mean, it would be one of the ways that it will happen. I think. Um, on the other hand, there is the same second problem. The problem that they that often they mentioned that is the economic one. That the, these societies are aging, and they are lacking, and they are aging, and they lack young people. Their pension and other systems require, you know, they are failing, and the future looks. And the, that was supposed to be the, you know, that's the problem. You know, the problem was that yeah. the 
this was offered as the answer. The answer was we take the attractiveness of liberal society, of, with, of liberal way of life is such that all these people from non-Western cultures, when they are faced with this, such an attractive society, they will become just like us. There is nothing, uh, and they will become, then all what won't matter. The, you know, they will, the trouble is that, for example, with Islam, they find that it's uh, something that doesn't, so not always, but in many cases doesn't, um, it's very strongly resistant to this uh, mm-hmm. temptation, like, and they find that, uh, of course, it's combined, it's, um, you know, there are other factors, but, you know, you have to be realistic. For example, one liberal reaction is like this. Well, the, the reason why it doesn't work is because there is racism. Because there is racism, these young Muslims, they find themselves not... Um, they, they meet racism, and then this uh, makes them feel that the society is unjust, biased against them, and then they discover their own identity. They are We are really Muslims, and we and our, ours is the true superior religion and we are and we here. can't convert them because of it yeah and so on and we should be and we are at the very bottom while we should be so of course that kind of thing happens to you know naturally and then of course there is uh, and then it, uh, it people begin to realize that that it is actually not every not every minority is the same you know some it's also a question of of their own identity some minorities you know it has been always known the chinese for example in britain were Many more Chinese always than people realized, because there was always huge number of Chinese everywhere. The Chinese takeaway and Chinese mm. restaurants run by Chinese. And if you ask people how many Chinese there are in in the UK, they yeah. they they had no idea. The much smaller, but this was a kind of invisible minority. It's a minority that never uh, aspired to sort of imposing its own culture on the rest of society because it's, it, its culture is not universal. It doesn't have the aspirations to make, to turn the whole world into uh, Confucianism or to, uh, you know, and so on. So there is not every, but uh, there is a, a rival, a real rival culture, mm. a civilization even, and it's not easy to deal with it. And the trouble is that that's where most of the immigrants come from. Mm. I think, uh, wait, uh, real quick, I think the uh, trouble starts when you get a counter, when you get a a fifth column of people, especially with a lot of leftist people becoming leaders for those people who say, like, we are not fairly represented, so on and so forth. But at least from my perspective, if you make it very clear that we would accept people into our country who would be of the same, let's say, of the same persuasion when it comes to how they raise their kids, their same intellectual level, never an intellectual level less than like this, like the stupidest people in any particular country that they would want to emigrate to, always, always more, always, always smarter, then at that point, nobody can point a finger and say, well, you're not letting these people in because, you know, they're from this place or that place. You can say, no, no, no we're letting in people who would be of that particular level that we want people to be in in this country, and it has nothing at all to do with uh, any of these features of theirs or where they come from. I think that would be a fair way of going about it. But is that possible in uh, practice? Well, I mean, the point is that you would have the same problem. Right now, it looks like you would have the same problems as universities have, because when they try to recruit, you know, the point is that they are not recruiting people on ability because they discovered that if they... Say, I will, you know, I will league 
universities did this, they would have something like I don't know what it is, sixty percent of the right now of the stu of the students at the say STEM subjects would be Chinese or Asians, right in America. So they decided. So there is, as you know, there was this recently. Uh, yeah. Recently, there was this graph with the only the only top American university of the that doesn't discriminate is Caltech. And Caltech, you know, the curve goes way up. And all the others, it's, it's, it's a curve showing the percentage of Asians and all the others, Harvard students and so on, are, are like this. They, basically, the percentage the percentage hasn't changed, even though Asian population has grown, whereas in Caltech has gone mm. way up. So that would be happening. Right? And, and then people would say, well, that's... Uh, and then certain people, or certainly you would end up, if you did this, you would find that there is a certain inequality among the, um, you know, say, racial inequality among the people that you are accepting the people, and you would be accused of saying, uh, mm. of, of racial discrimination, of course. Well, one other thing I would throw in there, just my personal experience, I had this girlfriend, ex-girlfriend now, who was uh, Chinese, her uh, family, well, she was from Beijing, and so was her family. I noticed that in the way that she spoke about the Chinese government, for instance, she was a big fan. She had no problems with the things that they were doing with the journalists and so on. And would there be a system where, for example, it would be known ahead of time in immigration that anybody who would support this kind of system, they're not welcome to become citizens of the United States? Like certain things of that nature could well, be Well, we used to done. do that back in the day in Ellis Island. If you were an anarchist or someone, they actually had it on your... Uh, yeah. Well, even, even, with my, even with my family, they had an interview and they asked them, like, do they support communism and things like that? But I don't know. But, you know, the United States had a rule, but that was a, a law which said that if you had been... Uh, it was actually funny. It said that if you uh, ever have been, a, have been a member of the of the of a communist party, uh, then you could not... Um, uh, become a U.S. Um, to emigrate to the United States, but actually, in fact, they um, it, this law was very peculiar because they asked you actually if you were a member. They asked you why you joined. Mm. If you if you said that you joined because you were actually um, at that time believed in in the ideas and so on, then you were not allowed. To, then that was that applied to you. But if you said that, for example, you wanted to make a career. Uh, then it was okay, generally. So, I mean, the result yeah. was that, um, you know, it wasn't a very good result. The problem is that it's very difficult to ask people. Once yeah, they people learn, can lie. Yeah, it's very, you know, yeah. You, it's... you not get this yeah. one. So, it's, you know, uh, why this happens to to these, um, some Chinese, and why it's used by China, of course, and why many now, uh, quite a few. It's difficult to tell what is the number, you know, because there are many who are intimidated by other Chinese. Mm. Uh, so the, uh, uh, or have family know, back in China that uh, you know may get threatened. Well, the students—they're literally yes. spied on by certain other students from China yes. as well. Yes, like that in yes. Canada here—that happens all the time. I mean, but um, it's funny you mentioned Lev about the resistance to it. Uh, I think like the Islamic example is quite interesting because um, he he got like immense criticism before he died in the eighties. But Michel Foucault—he was actually a journalist in Iran during the Iranian revolution. And he was talking quite favorably about how this sort of like re-Islamification of Iranian politics, how that created a, a bulwark against like 
not just liberal democracy, but also the prevailing norms of like the liberal consensus at the time and how that created an environment where Islamic rule and the religion of Islam was very real to them and their as opposed to like Christianity in the West at the time. And therefore this created a constant momentum and a will of the people to initially bring back the Shah, not, uh, not the Shah, to depose the Shah and bring back the Ayatollahs and how this was in a way the only like credible upsurge and grassroots resurgence against the prevailing liberal order that there was. Of course, like, I mean, people point out how, you know, Michel Foucault was like the father of queer theory and now he's like, you know, supporting the Iranian revolution, which is quite, quite delicious. Mm. But I think the point stands is that when you look at this, or even if you look at the convoy, it really is kind of like one of the only like successful material rebellions against the prevailing order of things, either through international manipulation of Iran because of the oil thing in the seventies and so forth, or nowadays because of the sort of, like prevailing biosecurity theater hysteria that has caught the Western world in the past two years. Mm. It's like, there's always going to be these movements that I think have to sort of go outside of the confines of the prevailing discourse. But at the same time, the problem is with the convoys that the vast majority of people in them have like the typical, you know, standard classical liberal, like, you know, rebel media, my rights, my rights, my rights, which is of course problematic in my opinion. But I mean, Hey, whatever motivates people. And, you know, I, I don't, I get why a lot of people on the right, they counter signal it, but I just mm. don't understand. Why but what would be the alternative to talking about my rights, my rights, my rights? I mean, this kind of goes back the to you. In the, the convoys? Well, in the con, well, not just in the context of the convoys, but oh. I get that you're talking about how just talking about the rights, it doesn't matter because the friend enemy distinction between Trudeau's government and the truckers. Oh, but, yeah, definitely. Yeah, but still, as far as just certain values that people hold on high, I still can't find a good alternative to what we have right now. Which well, the alternative is, like, of course, to argue for the just the logical and rational impact on people's lives needlessly sure. because of these restrictions but also to argue sort of the noblesse oblige of like the particular society like on the one hand the order in canada is telling you that you are nothing but a, like a post-liberal like sorry, not post-liberal post-international sorry post-national like liberal rootless individual and that there's no obligation you have towards a collective identity because there's no such thing of a collective identity as canada <laughs> but now in the last two years it's telling people that no, you have to buy into civil society again, but you can only do it from a distance and you can only do it because now we're in this like biosecurity theater state where you have to consent, like you have to basically micromanage your lives around the will of the governed. It's like yeah. not even the will of the government, the will of like mm. this technocratic managerial class. And, and that's the argument more than mm. just saying, well, it's going against my charter of rights and freedoms because and, that will lead to people saying that, oh, well, what about the rights of people who are immunocompromised or like some other? Yes. Oh, no, no, I, I see what I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Is but the it, problem is the vast majority of people in these protests, they view things through the lens of human rights. And so my opinion is that like the average person, they're not like particularly right wing in these convoys. And so why are you countersigning them if they're doing material damage hmm. to the regime? I mean, that's well, is, is by the way, Canada and China, are they aligned together? Is there a closer relationship oh, between yeah, Canada and China? Because historically, historically, the Liberal Party in Canada 
was always accustomed to using the Chinese as a bulwark against America. When Pierre Trudeau, his father, bowed to Chairman Mao, that was essentially to give the middle finger to Richard Nixon. Mm. And now speaking right. of Chairman Mao, uh, Mr. Kozlowski, the last thing that I wanted to discuss here is the uh, Great Reset and people like Klaus Schwab, who had uh, Xi Jinping on and was applauding him and saying how smart he is. What do you personally make out of these World Economic Forum people and what exactly is uh, going on here. Oh, also your opinion on the China and Russia connection and what, what that's yes. going to happen in the future, yeah. Well, um, okay, which one uh, my opinion on this? Uh, uh, on the China-Russia connection, um, what I would say is uh, I think that this is a, uh, basically rooted in just one matter, one thing, trying to, uh, anti-Americanism, trying to oppose the United States. The second aspect of it is the, is the Putin regime, which actually, um, I would say, um, has basically burned the bridges to the West, and therefore it has essentially no option but to rely on China. And it actually, and also with the fact that I, my own view, this regime doesn't, the way, the, the nature of the regime and Putin himself is such that it actually decided it not to worry about the future. Uh, the future, uh, which, because um, the future actually of this relationship looks very gloomy for Russia. In the end, it um, it is growing to um, becoming rapidly a dependency and uh, what what it has in the end is um, only one argument. It is that it still has nuclear weapons. It um, it will be, it be uh, but um, that argument, of course, it's um, a desperate argument. Something that you can use only at the um, um, you know when you have no nothing else left. Suicidal one. Uh, Suicide, any hero. Yeah. The yeah. other thing is that Russia. So Russia's hope is that basically that China will remain preoccupied. So on the one hand, Russia supports China's um, demand to, uh, of course, um, get back Taiwan. On the other hand, uh, Russia would be seriously worried if this happened. It wants because uh, this precisely preoccupation with Taiwan is. The reason why Russia, because the current Russian leadership believes that um, China will leave Russia alone. It will leave it alone because it needs to be, because it's centered completely on Taiwan. Uh, so there is a paradox in this, because on the one hand, Russia uh, supports China. On the other hand, it, um, um, it doesn't really secretly want it to succeed because of, the, of this. Mm. this. Secondly, China doesn't offer Russia anything much, actually. Yeah, uh, that's true. That, for example, notice that they haven't even, even now, when um, you know when Putin went to the to the Olympics, he managed to mm. get uh, uh, he himself confirmed this uh, one China policy, but he didn't get any, for example, um, any support on the mm. such matter as yeah. Crimea, for example. China has well, recognized. He, he got uh, he got some oil, but I think it's very cheap, which is the yeah. other thing that yeah, people are right, suspecting. Right. China got the oil, yes. Yes, they, yes. They signed the longest contract and so on. But the point is that um, Putin didn't get much. He got the basic support for Russia's demand for sort of spheres of influence. But for example, China has never, uh, never, um, China has not accepted, uh, for example, Russia's claim to Crimea. 
which is we would expect that uh, in return for that kind of thing. Um, in fact, it has given very little. Uh, it, it takes, but it doesn't uh, doesn't give much. So it's a very so it's the relationship is very one sided. Um, the um, Russia, the, China also definitely, definitely is not going to be interested and not will not permit really to to uh, to you know if people talk about. Um, Putin's ambition to restore the Soviet Union. Well, China definitely would not like that. It would not like it. The Soviet Union was not uh, uh, not something that um, at all fitted into the Chinese view of the world. And this you may not remember that uh, Mao actually seriously wanted to cause a nuclear war between the United States and 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 the Soviet Union, precisely believing that it would be leave China precisely, you know, in the very comfortable ideal position and even um, today <laughs> um, typical chinese but, eh? but so that is one one question yeah i don't so i think this relationship mm. is actually uh, more like i would say it, it, russia has become the current russian regime has become so committed to it it cannot really mm. uh, so for example trump's attempts trump belief and other that that russia could be somehow um uh, persuaded to uh, switch al the alliance, to switch sides, and so on. And this was, this may be possible with a different after Putin. Yes, with a different, yes. different. And, and do you think it also has think... to do with uh, Putin being raised in the way that he did with the KGB influence to always see the West as the uh, perpetual enemy? Well, that I don't uh, know because not everybody in the KGB, uh, you know, not everybody. It's not it is a mistake to believe that everybody in the KGB himself was also like Putin. I mean, actually, he was a rather junior figure. And there are, of course, um, people who were uh, more senior than him, not everybody. And, 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 and um, there were people, some, for example, like who switched completely, like Oleg Gordievsky, the, mm -hmm. the um, most famous um, double agent who worked for the British. Yes. There was, and he was a senior to Putin. Uh, but do you see was, Putin uh, as being more of a true believer then in that uh, particular no, uh, worldview? He was a true believer in communism. Um, I think from the very beginning that is loyalty to the to the organization, to the to the other. And in the end, in the end, it's uh, no. I think there is a certain mafia-like. Um, it's true, mafia-like um, character to it. That is. Um, Basically, mm. it is not. Um, it is seen. It is more like uh, where you see the rest of the society as being. Um, it's really very, very, very Russian. And in fact, this whole idea goes back, I would say, even to the Tsarist times. That is to the Tsarist Ochrana. The attempts to the idea that the um, the um, secret police basically could run the whole society that idea is actually an old idea in russia it is um yeah um and in fact um um uh, now i just keep forgetting the names i wanted to mention but yes there was uh, there were at least two uh, there was one attempt at least by um to actually this is you know this what this is what led to the um, um, the famous bloody, bloody Sunday, the killings of the that actually led to the revolution of 
five and so on. You know that this was caused by trade unions, sort of, or that were organized by the secret by the by the secret police. Mm-hmm. That there was this attempt by this um, mm. very well known. But anyway, that there was I also a priest, right? There was some yes. priest yes, who yes, was working for them. Father Gapon, yeah. but he was um, yeah. he was originally uh, there was the head of the Ohana, who I now forgotten who his name now, but. Uh, but uh, yes, his attempt was to create a whole, if you like, fake, what you might call fake liberal society, where would ha- which would have all these institutions that look like, look like the institutions uh, that you have in in a liberal country, but all of them would be run by secret police. Mm. Wow! In a sense, <laughs> the idea that has been realized in the post um, in Putin's Russia, that you basically create, you create this kind of. Um, actually, this is very interesting because it's a whole whole separate subject. For example, Russia, unlike China, this does have independent media even now. You can still you have, for example, things like the Moscow, Echo Moscow, which actually in which opposition very anti-Putin figures yes appear. Yeah, but they're funded by Western and, entities. No, 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 not at all. Ah, absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> absurd. It's yeah. This is <laughs> allowed. In Russia, and it is permitted, and they are not published. They are they are funded by absolute. It's absolute nonsense. They are funded mostly by R- Russian immigrants. The, Russia has now the same kind of immigration. You would say the same thing about the 19th century Russian immigration. But much of Russian culture in the whole 19th century and so on was in Paris. Everybody mm-hmm. was there. And yeah, the same, there a lot of them went to. Yeah, the same mm-hmm. situation is now. The same situation is now. There is the whole world of Russian. Everybody is leaving. Uh, and the present, the difference between the Soviets and the present regime is one big difference. Is the Soviets actually didn't want people to leave. They, for example, today the very top scientists and other mm. people, they, they are basically pushed out the moment they become because the regime doesn't need them. Really, they don't care. They have, they encourage everybody to leave. Um, the intellectuals, writers, and so on. Mm. You. Uh, well, like well, they had that. No, but I, I don't know about that because doesn't that contradict the narrative that Putin wants to create a civilization state that he needs those people, or no, is yes, that really just like Western bullshit, like yes, right wing people? Yes, he doesn't want to. It is actually this is this is this. Oh is, my yeah. god! This is also the reason. I mean, look, they are the whole of this elite keeps all the money in the West. Everybody knows that. Yes. Yeah, they, and they, in London in particular. Yeah. yeah. So there is um, this is not the same. The Soviets, the Soviets yeah. really had completely different aspirations. They really believed they were real till the end. They yeah. were well, although although Lenin did have that boat of philosophers yeah, that he no way, that's true. Yeah, that's true. one time and then he came ca- actually. But, yeah, but they were philosophers <laughs> and they were troublemakers. But for example, yeah. this is, you know, no, there was a it, it, you know the Soviet science was completely well. It's a long story. I mean, it was saved by the. At, you know, atomic bomb program because before that Stalin was just killing everybody. Yeah. And then he realized that suddenly he realized that um, physicists were useful. They're going to make and Beria was appointed in charge of the yeah, uh, Berium, of, yeah. of, of the program. But and then that saved many many other people because um, and at this point they begin to, for example, you know, so um, the story of Kapitza and and um, Lev Landau who was actually. Um, who actually, you know, um, well, I, was saved um, by Kapitza, but he did something that was um, worse than what people were being, what people executed for, because he actually wrote 
you know, leaflets you took, uh, which were um, compared Stalin to Hitler. And uh, that was, um, so, I mean, uh, yes. and when he was, uh, he was um, arrested, he was kept for one year, but he was released. Uh, he, Kapita intervened and so on, and Stalin decided to release him. So he was a genius physicist, and, uh, and this kind of thing counted. There is, this wouldn't happen today. Today, uh, Putin doesn't care as a president. Mm. They would but, but that's what I mean. Like, it seems that people that read Dugan in the West, they figure that Putin is creating a civilization state, that he would want these people. But Dugin but... Has, yes, Dugin is, is completely no influence. And he's yeah, a, yeah. this idea that Dugin, that Putin is that he's a Rasputin figure. It's... Of, of, of Dugin is just creation. And, you know, when people, exactly, that Putin like figure and so on. This is. This is uh, this trying to find some kind of uh, certainly there is the fact that Putin, of course, started looking for an ideology uh, at some point because it they found that uh, there is this this thing is lacking, right? And then they started turning to you know Orthodox Church and so on. These people are atheists. The whole thing is fake completely. Mm. Uh, the, what what about Father uh, Kirill? Yes, I mean the point is that uh, the, the, you know, is Father Kirill. Well, for example, in, you know, in Russia, whole, uh, Orthodox Church uh, hierarchy and the Soviet Union was entirely run by the KGB. Mm -hmm. uh, the, all, um, I don't but, want to offend. There's a lot of people who are Orthodox that listen to us, but I don't want to offend them. But it is true that, yeah, they say a lot of the Russian Church was infiltrated, more or less, or they had to go along to get along because oh, no, they were, were previously being things. having their they heads were. chopped off. Yes, there were many genuine believers, of course, and there were priests also at the lower ranks, etc. Yes, and there were some, uh, but of course, right. of course, I mean, there was Solzhenitsyn who was of genuinely became genuine uh, believer. But, uh, but as a matter of survival, of the, of the hierarchy of those at the top. In fact, it was impossible because there was no way you could actually mm. get to the top of the church hierarchy unless you were carefully checked by the KGB. The, the, well, nowadays, a... like for example, in Russia, uh, I know. Russia has like the most well-advanced atelier system in terms of visual art and painting. But a lot of those people, they get trained in Russia. They get trained in a lot of old masters techniques, but then they end up in Paris and London anyways in America. Yes. So it's like, yes, yeah, what are you going to do? But there is a, there is another thing that was brought up by this gentleman who Gio knows really well, who would not come on the show because of my uh, g g genetics uh, named Keith Woods. I'm who made a video. He's not well, totally. Well, he better well. come on with a, with a great man like Mr. Kozlowski uh, in the stream. But uh, the uh, point, here is that Keith made a video where he was talking about the Russian oligarchs and how Putin came in and he got rid of all these Clean bad, yeah, bad Russian Clear oligarchs. Them out. Like, and, uh, Clear them out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <They're all there. laughs> it is, it is uh, actually a fantastic view of this. I mean, so op opposite of reality. Uh, but um, what has happened only is that the, unfortunately, the uh, the oligarchs are still there, and they still have all the wealth, although it's in the wealth. And they were allowed; they were they have always been allowed to steal freely by Putin. And this method, by the way, is exactly borrowed from Stalin. Uh, the idea of actually this idea that, in fact, um, you encourage uh, this kind of corruption and so on, because this gives you hold over these people, because you have every single person you can jail anytime. Because the, because now you've got you got the proof you don't even need anything because you, of course they could say well I know but I mean 
I thought that it was okay because you told me. <laughs> but but that's the argument that essentially Putin cleared out the subversive ones and that the ones left are basically subservient to him and the will of the Russian people. Like, they are not the will of the Russian people. The Russian people, they are the worst, actually. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I don't want to talk as Keith isn't yeah. here to defend himself. And yes, but that's why we. Is, this yeah. would be no, no. Andres, if you are interested, I would love to have you on with Keith Woods for a future stream. I think that would be very interesting. But I d and I did want to ask you about oh, wait, wait, wait. China. Oh, wait. Go, yeah. well, I have to go to. I'll, sorry, I have to leave now because it's already. Oh, 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 of course, of oh, course, wow. bro. Yeah, but, uh, but Mr. Kozlowski, if you are interested in coming in when we would have Keith Woods on, I think that would be a very interesting conversation. Because he would, uh, he considers the opposite of it, but he's also, uh, I don't want to speak ill, but I'm just saying that uh, he would represent a more reactionary side that's uh, going on today. And I don't think we have had enough uh, of um, pushback to a lot of these things in an open forum. Well, okay. I mean, I'll, I'll consider this. I'm not that terribly, I might say, I don't have much, you know, I... I do. I am. Uh, I, I do teach. I'm professor and so on. But I don't have that much um, experience and so on in in verbal argument and mm. this kind of. Um, and so I don't feel that um, eloquent or comfortable in in this. But um, so I'll think about it. <laughs> oh no problem. In that case, uh, no pr no pressure at all. If there is anybody else who you think would be would enjoy that kind of fiery back and forth, please let me know. Because this is what BTR is about. It is about bringing together different people of different opinions and discovering where people may be at fault as long as it's all in good faith. And uh, that's that. That's what's done here. Well, the last question, Mr. Kozlowski, even in a brief, I'm just curious. Do you have any thoughts at all on the uh, Great Reset people like Klaus Schwab and so on? Is it just a big joke? Is it something that people need to take seriously? That is, uh, uh, actually, sorry, I mean, uh, could you tell me what it is about? Because sure, so uh, Klaus Schwab, he is the head of the World Economic Forum. And oh, yeah, this okay. is, yeah, the think tank okay. with people like yes, John yes, Kerry yes. and uh, so on and so forth. Yes. And I don't know how seriously people should take their claims of wanting the fourth industrial revolution where you will own nothing and be happy. How much of this is just a bunch of clowns at a circus and how much of this is real policies that these uh, leaders may implement? So uh, you are going to, uh, just a second, so how is everything going to be provided that you need uh, by... Uh... Well no. Anything? well, no, more of uh, these policies, a lot of them having to do with climate change, for example, talking about how because the climate oh, is changing, we have to now uh, have a society where people will, uh, you know, they will not own and uh, they'll be renters and so on and so yeah. forth. Well, my opinion, that's complete nonsense. Uh, I really uh, think it's just a utopia, utopian thinking that is actually... Um, more or less, put, can put it on the shelf next to communism. I mean, communism in the utopian sense. That is uh, because it's m very similar. They will, you will have absolutely. You will, you know, under perfect communism, you actually don't have any uh, needs because, or rather, everything you um, wish will be satisfied because human creative power becomes so enormous that scarcity disappears. And as scarcity disappears, well, then everything is available in unlimited quantities and you don't really need to have either prices or supply in demand stops um, working, etc. 
Well, that sounds, I would put it next to uh, the, yeah. the, the same level. Yeah, it's really like this weird utilitarian technocracy idea that's really just not, mm. it's crazy. Anyways, thank you for your well, time. You know, another Hope. possibility is, yes, of course. I mean, you might even equally well start considering, which is more realistic, I would say, and that's more interesting, the idea of a world in which human beings will be largely replaced by by robots or automata and they will have mm. very little to do that might be a <laughs> real problem what to yes. do with because um that i think is is more mm. i think this is what was considered in america in the some yeah some people and the, this prospect is more realistic i mean what how you actually ensure that people um, are paid and have earnings and something like that when there isn't when they are not needed basically yeah everything. it's like a ubi yeah. universal yeah. basic income thing yeah yeah um, so i think that is actually that i think is um there is another matter which is yes which i think is um, also but the uh, gentleman himself klaus schwab here is a picture of him in the chat you're not familiar with him yes i know that you mentioned i heard his name but i uh, yes but i really paid no attention to it um, that's probably yeah. for the best all right uh mr kozlowski thank you so much for uh, being a part of this i really appreciate okay, your time Thank you for the invitation. Thank you. I, ha yes. Have I a know. wonderful yeah. have a wonderful night and uh, please come again. Yes. Okay. So we have, here we go. We we have a couple of super we have a couple of super chats here. So Oh, there's some interesting comments, Lev. Uh, All right, oh, let's get to the comments. The stream. Holy hold on, <laughs> hold on, boy. <laughs> Takes a bit of time. One by here N to... um N's uh Jans. Jan I wonder Jenny. if he's Aaron. I wonder if he's if N S on Twitter. I wonder if it's the same dude. Um, go up, uh, air placing work is a key part of the fourth industrial, um, before Klaus Schwab, before Klaus Schwab. Um, so yeah, yeah, that doesn't answer the question. The communists were willing to do immeasurable damage in the service of worthless ideology. Yeah, that's, well, I mean, a tenet of any faith is sort of, uh, can be a dangerous thing. Um, What's interesting, I want to get a... I love the comment over here by Oscar Toe. Klaus is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, when they were talking about China and Russia, I find it kind of, like, interesting how maybe it's the fact that there's a lot of, like, older party heads in the CCP, in the Politburo, who remember the time in the 70s. And, well, not the 70s, the 80s, and the, the early 80s whereabouts, where the Russians, the Soviets basically said to China, hey, you're on your own. Do what you want, you know. Don't don't rely on us anymore. I find it interesting how the roles are reversed now, where China wants to consume Russia, but it's like there's like, well, now we have you now. It's sort of like a revenge fantasy for when mm -hmm. the Soviets abandoned the Communist Party in China. Um, you remember that, Lev, in the eighties? Well, I don't, you don't remember that, but I mean, like, you know about that, right? When the Soviets basically told the Chinese that they're on their own. It's like there you go. Yeah. And there is another comment over here by Stop Asking for My Name, who was also, I believe, one of the people in the Super Chat line here, unless he got replaced by more people uh, sneeding the Super Chat. Speaking of which, MJ May, still queen of the Super Chats, if you want to become king of the Super Chat or queen, uh, you got to 
bring more than $49.99 in. But uh, Stop Asking for My Name talks about how uh, Jonathan Wiseman, who is a person of the small hat descent, has mm-hmm. openly admitted nationalism is bad for them, hence why they prefer multiculturalism for Gentiles. Well, Once again, what, admitted that as well. What's his well, name? Uh, chess master? Who's the chess master? You know, the one that goes around in those. Of course he would. He, of course circles. he would. No, 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 no. Geo. Here's the thing. Jonathan, Jonathan Wiseman, as has been stated before, and all the Jewish people who are, I wouldn't say again liberal, I would say leftists, they are again some of the biggest anti Semites in the world. They are oh, Jew haters. No, it's that's not Cope. Because when we're talking about multicultural society, the reason why they want it is for it to be safe for leftists like themselves. If we're talking about the Jewish people in Germany, one of the reasons I think why a lot of them didn't leave even post Havara agreement, like why they didn't go for that whole thing, was because they didn't even think of themselves as Jewish. They thought of themselves as German citizens who have every right to be a part of the country that they love. The, lo- the, 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 like, the lower level ones, yes, that's true. The average working class Jews at the time. Yeah, but then we're just talking uh, about people who are urbanites. That's that's pretty much what we're getting at. We're getting at urbanites oh. who get jobs at these various urbanite-oriented uh, companies. So no shit they're going to be on a particular side of history. But this is more to do with urban people, less to do, nothing to do, I'd say, with these other things other than them just being better at other people at getting those jobs in the first but place. I can't believe, Lev, you would dare question Putin <laughs> not wanting to create a civilization state. How dare you? Uh, there's this funny no, com- but, no, yeah. but no, serious, no joke though. Because you always say, Where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? You always do this, vouch, give me the data. Is it true that there is a current brain drain going on in the arts, sciences, politics, and culture in Russia? Of course. And can, is there data proving this though? I can uh, give you a piece of data with. Uh, okay, you're you're probably not gonna like this as far as pieces of data goes, but is it in just... Hiratslav? No, no, it's a no, nice no. it's a nice historical piece of data having to do with uh, this man uh, who you probably heard of named uh, uh, hold on named Alexander Pushkin. So what happened with Pushkin Love, was... Love, contemporary Russia. Hold on. No, 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 no. Hold on. No, this has everything to do with contemporary Russia. Because Pushkin wanted to get out of Russia and go to Paris, and he was never allowed to. There is a tendency right. of people who end up getting to a certain intellectual level where they feel that Russia, as big and mighty as it is, has a particular culture that they don't want to be a part of anymore, and they want to escape it. And this has been going on for a long time with the intellectuals who... I would say are, you know, they consider themselves to be European. They did not, yeah. same thing with Peter the Great. That's they true. did not consider themselves to be the someone, Russians who they who they were in a way ruling over. Like, keep someone in mind, mentioned like, Peter yeah. the Great. Is it true that he was a Freemason? I don't know about that. He probably, he probably had certain... Exposure uh, to those ideas? Or? No, I was about to say he probably had certain things going on with little Hannibal that they don't write about in the history books if you catch my drift. But that's, you know, that's neither they here nor there. There's conspiracies that the Freemasons managed to subvert the Orthodox Church under Peter the Great. But then there was a huge backlash. I mean, there was the old believers that went against Peter the Great. Um, I don't know. Mm. Like, again, I don't want to offend people who are Orthodox because I don't want to smear them by saying yeah. like, oh, well, you know, the, or the Masons infiltrated. Because like, like, let's face it, the reality is, is that there is, in my opinion... There are free Masonic forces that are trying to infiltrate the Catholic Church, my church, and um, 
I don't know if there was a connection there. I do know that there was a rebellion with the old believers because Peter the Great wanted to modernize hmm. the Russian church. And um, Well, Gio, you know what yeah. pisses me off most about the Freemasons is that if I were to go to them and if I were to show them like a chart of kundalini and chakras and i would say like hey guys this is like literally the same thing over here what's what's up they probably wouldn't even fucking get it like that's yeah, that's my that's problem they don't see all these symbolism connections and that's also what kind of pisses me off about any organized i mean you know no offense to the catholics i think the catholics are great i went to catholic school but there still is this <laughs> there still is i know this... everything about catholic theology i went to catholic school i love those people i love those catholic libs yeah go ahead it's go more ahead. no 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 no. and again like i live next to catholics and they're they're great i think there's a lot of great values in it but i still see a lack of inter interfaith curiosity when it comes to a lot of the mystery aspects of uh the religions what, what do exactly? you mean? You know what I mean, Gio. You're in not fact, looking at the right going... sources. That's your problem. There's a and... lot of cat, like theologians who've had dialogues with different faiths. I mean, Thomas Merton wrote whole books about Zen Buddhism. Okay. You know, okay. No, that's like, great. There's a huge thing there. It's just that I think you're getting, Does anybody... I think you're getting a very negative picture of the Catholic Church, Lev. I have to say. I don't think it's negative I think at you're all. Being, I de- think you're being inculcated been... with certain propagandistic forces against the church. Lev. I've I been... <laughs> I've been, I think, more than generous to Catholicism. I consider it to be a force for good in Long Island. No, I know. I'm just joking. But there has been been certain periods in the Catholic Church that have opened up dialogue with other faiths. Um, I know that the problem is I think a lot of people, when it comes specifically to the Orthodox context, there's a lot of people who are rightfully um, fearful of ecumenicalism. I know, like, Jay Dyer, he really, like, goes hard on this one because he has, like, an utter hatred of the Catholic. I hate to say it. he's got a pretty huge raging boner against the Catholic Church. I mm. mean, for good or for bad. But I mean, oh, I by the wanna... way, look, look at this comment over here. Is Levon the Ganja not since 2016? That's all the current Pope has been doing for the past. Exactly. Okay. Come on, no, Papi no, no, Mama. No, no, here's the Papi here... Mama. Come on, G- Geo, Geo. You you don't understand what I'm saying. I'm not even saying interfaith dialogue. Interfaith dialogue is besides the point. I want us to rip open the veil of all of these mystery cults and just lay it out in the open. Like, Hey guys, what's going on here? There are people in the church who have tried, who have, there's been whole councils that have specifically been designed to counter certain heretical notions from these occultic groups from, well, particularly Gnosticism. But I mean, like through even like more recently, there's been an awareness of them from certain writers in the church. I mean, um, but awareness, yeah. my, my concern with awareness, I'll bring up Seraphim Rose, for example. Okay. In his, in his book, uh, you know, the one... Um, uh, Orthodoxy, Religion, of the Future. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Orthodox oh, Orthodoxy, Religion, Religion of the Future. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. In his book, he was talking about how when you undergo this ha- uh, tantric Hindu path, uh, there, you know, they do all of these... Uh, like there are like these seven things that you are allowed to do now uh, that you weren't allowed to do before, and they are absolutely unspeakable. That I cannot even say it. I looked at what those seven things are. It's like um, eat meat, eat bread, uh, you know, drink wine. It's like okay, there was one like sexual intercourse. Oh my god! Oh my god! It's so so so. Well, tantra uh, isn't about like tantra is a very specific sexual practice that a lot of um. A lot of people in uh, Tibet, for instance, there are certain female monks that engage in this tantric practice. 
it's not about like you can't coom. That's the whole deal. Sure. No, about I'm, that? I'm aware, but uh, no, you know what? Maybe I'll give him. Orsine's church is better than the Catholic church. Oh my God, Oscar! Ch Q fucking, I'm gonna ban you from the <laughs> chat right now. No. Like, how dare you say I'm that? I'm gonna make him. I'm gonna make him fucking a mod. Joel Osteen, you, you, you want you more off. skeletons in the closet? <laughs> Joel Osteen. <laughs> well, speaking of skeletons in the closet, I would give one. Let's Joel say, Osteen, uh, I, I, if I were to speaking of skeletons in the closet, Geo. I would vouch for maybe uh, Seraphim Rose's uh, interpretation if he talks about the sects of the Aghori, which do practice necromancy. <laughs> then yeah, I will... no, there, there, there are certain Orthodox people that don't that aren't exactly cool with Seraphim Rose either. I mean, there's a debate whether his sister like a lot of like american orthodox people like let's face it a lot of them read seraphim rose and that's where they get because seraphim rose speaks directly to an american um the context of what a, the american project was going through in the 60s and 70s specifically through the lens of orthodoxy like he was the best one to really like compact those different forces. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the Agori, yeah, they practice human Oh, look, Akubasi, Lord Akubasi says, UK just aired the Fuentes doc. Oh, Whoa! boy. Where can I find this? I need to see the Falcon. All right, well, before everybody up. before everybody leaves, a couple of things here. So, Massive McGee, Tantra is just edging with funny bells and incense. I love that. Yeah, now, I mean, guys, yeah. you got to think of your body. Your body's like a giant penis, okay? And just think of oh, the energy dude. being directed from the smaller penis to the larger your penis that's that's what tantra is and anyway go my brain's melting yes you know speaking of brain melting i mean the head is kind of like a penis head if you think about it have you ever seen those old uh babylonian statues of the bulls yeah, yeah. Uh, you remember like the help the helmet that they had on that's like a penis head but, helmet, yeah, yeah yeah exactly uh but anyway you know the other energy shoots up yeah, anyway, we are almost done. Let me just go into the Super Chats. Uh, need some more Super Chats. Oh, and also, look, I made a real crappy thumbnail. It just took me like one minute to make while I was in, uh, you know, while, while we were talking. But I'm going to link it here. You're going to be seeing this. It's going to be redirected to you. Super simple thumbnail. I'm going to make another one afterwards. But here it is. Uh, Gnostic Informant, Sorry Geo, versus Tyler Hamilton, Christianity, Truth or Creation. Uh-oh. Oh, it's going <laughs> it's going down it's going down it's gonna be a lot of fun so this is happening on thursday six okay. o'clock be there or be square it's gonna be wild it's gonna be wildness tuesday? so no no thursday thursday no but what about what's happening tuesday nothing this was tuesday oh fuck okay taking a break on tuesday so oh, okay yeah. A much-needed break, mind you. A lot of things going on. Yeah, I don't think we're going to be doing the trucker thing, but uh, either way, I hope the best for the truck. What What is the latest on the truckers, Geo, before we go? We're trying to disperse them, but it's really touch and go. I mean, the the biggest thing is, of course, the Ambassador Bridge they're trying to clear out, but there are groups of people. Now, apparently, there's fucking counter-protesters. The Soy Poloi in Ottawa and Toronto. <laughs> the Soy you can tell that they look like bugs. The soy poloi, they're counter-protesting now. And people in Ottawa are cheering them. It's like, you know. I, hey, it's their right, you know. I just, I worry that there will be certain agitators. There will be certain uh, Antifa forces who are, there's already messaging right now in certain uh, discord, certain uh, Tranny Janny discords where they're talking about slashing the tires of the truckers and stealing their fuel 
And I don't know what's going to happen if that. People, like this narrative that, oh, the police aren't doing enough. The police, what do you want them to do? You want the police to go in there like Waco against working class people? Is that what you want? No, of course, exactly. That's what the Canadian media want. Fucking Greg, what's his name? Um, uh, Fucking, what's his name? Gregor and CTV and Andrew Coyne and G. Heard. <laughs> Of course they want that. They want the Maddie Iglesias. Oh well, this is what Maddie Iglesias, and I, I cited it in my paper. Maddie Iglesias saying, if they're blocking the economic, uh, you know, the, the 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 Almighty God of American capital, if they're blocking the roadway, then we gotta send in the Marines. That's what Maddie Maddie uh, a gorillion more six gorillion more Americans. Maddie Iglesias wants to send in the Marines against the truckers. He literally typed that in Twitter, and he didn't get banned for agitation or uh, calling violence. Yeah. You know that. Well, look, look at that recent. Um, uh, hey, listen, I'm not a big wiring fan. thing and, with the. And I speaking of the the Louis Thoreau documentary. Oscar Toast says Joel Olstein will solve a geo. Don't worry. Oh, I, I would really <laughs> appreciate all of his millions of dollars that he stole from old women who can't pay for fucking uh apartment bills or their retirement home bills i hope that joel Osteen takes that money from all those grannies in retirement homes and gives it to the truckers anyways if you want to talk about ba- you know this whole thing with louis thoreau where they they had uh the yeah. mis- oh the, uh, the link is going to be in the discord on. by the way i'm posting the link to the btr discord in case you guys want to go there here is the btr discord link They're go on geo no the th- it's funny about louis thoreau how uh, a certain Tim Ganon was. Uh, no, I'm not a big fan of Griff Send Glow, Griff Scam Glow, because a lot of like people, a lot of crazy like bonkers people have used Griff's uh, Gifts and Go to uh, do you know uh, to get around the federal government more or less. But if they're willing to help the truckers, I don't see a problem with it. I mean, the problem is the payment service providers to begin with. Mm. Um, I think like uh, the fact that that basically GoFundMe had to be threatened with legal action by Rick DeSantis and other people into actually refunding people who, with their own money. Can you imagine this? If I give to a charity, I give to the truckers or I give to a more conservative charity and they, they take my money and they give it to black lives matter. They give it to some, whatever, uh, you know, help this, uh, help this poor trans woman of color with her bottom surgery. Can you imagine like, that's, we're living in this. I can't even believe this. I I, I just. It, I anyways. I gotta go. Oh, wait wait wait. By the way, Gio, before you go, I want to share a special uh, little picture here uh, with you. Okay, here is Joel Austin and his uh, and Mrs. Austin. Guess oh where they God. are. Guess where they are, Gio. Where they are. They're at the National Arts Club. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> his wife's pretty good looking. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's very, very beautiful lady. Oh, okay, and last thing I just wanted to share. Okay, so for all the people, and I think that a lot of people here really enjoyed uh, Mr. Kozlowski. I think he was a wonderful uh, speaker, a very wise man. Right. And, and a lot of people uh, may not be aware of this. Uh, just, you know, j- just so I could call out, like, your particular biases. But see over here, math professor, University of Warsaw, British Poland citizen, resident of Japan, Reaganite, Thatcherite, Zionist. So there you A go. Reaganite, Thatcherite, Zionist? No! There we go. Yes. Yes, there we go. Oh, there we no, go. So, I never... oh, so again... No. 
Oh, oh, hold on. I got a super chat from oh. Nico. I got to get to. No, but this just goes to show that, trouble, that, we have, <laughs> that we have that we have all of these all oh. these personal biases that we make in life which are stupid because you're going to find so many more people actually agree with the same problems that you're having that you've been biased against for no good reason. So anyway, we are going to go to the super chats over here. Uh one second, uh, StreamYard. No, Stream uh, Stream Labs. I always get the two streams confused. And by the way, speaking of streaming, everybody subscribe right now to this channel. What are you doing? Why are you not subscribing? Subscribe right now. See that button, the one that says subscribe? Well, not that one. That one just uh, has a little animation, but the one below, that's the one you should click on. Anyway, let us get to the final, final uh, Super Chats of the hour here. Thank you very much, Nico, for the reminder. Okay, so Nico, two hours ago... Wait, uh, okay, Massive McGee, uh, Geo sells hate Zog Chow. That's uh, $2. <laughs> Next, Nico, 50 ARS. The liberal world order is now fully progressive. It used to be liberal, but no more. They want the state to manage everything French Revolution style. And uh, next we have here ABC 12345639, Geo, where Fez? Also, Geo Schlong, Geo Strong. Oh, Geo Schlong, Geo Strong. Um, yes. Oh, yeah, and hit the bell. Thank you very much, Oscar Toe, for the reminder. I never talk about the, the bell. bell. Hit the bell. That's going to help the algorithm. Next, we have Nico, five, uh, $50 uh, ARS. Uh, Europe is doing the integration wrong. When the French nation was invented, all ethnic groups and languages around France were destroyed and replaced. That is true, by the way. Like, you have different parts of France that never considered themselves to even be French. Like, they considered themselves to be their own thing, right, Gio? Um... Within Qu France. Quebec, you mean? No. Wait. No, no France. Mean? France, France. Like, inside of France, people did not think of themselves as, quote-unquote, French. There were different enclaves of various groups inside of France. Yeah, I mean, there is... I don't, yeah, but they consider themselves French nowadays. I mean... Nowadays. I'm talking about, like, back then. It's hard to say. I'd have to look it up. I mean, yeah, I think... I believe I'm right on this, but maybe, look it up. Yeah, we'll see. All right, so I, I think yeah, yeah. Um, no, sorry, I'm getting distracted with this uh, Nicker news over here. Um, people, that, what's going to happen if people want to base a political movement around Fortnite? Someone says, "Oh my god." Oh man, <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't. I can't. I I I know I shouldn't subtweet, um, but it's like. Yeah. Oh yeah. Anyway, Nico, Nico says like the Normans uh, and tr oh, I really love this comment. Even though it's not a super chat, I still want to read it. Tuesday, FA Tuesday. Trump equals Big Chungus Reagan. <laughs> Big Chungus Reagan. All right, that's oh. it. This is the end, everybody. Take care. Have a